Hello everyone, it is January 17th, 2021. My name is Raphael Bennett and I'm here with the lovable Olivier Bouchard. Hello. We are here to talk about our game of the year 2020, our uh, our annual tradition of talking about every game we played for uh, for our own fun and posterity and because we love games. Yeah, it's been a year. It's, uh, I think that this particular podcast, bringing the total to, you know, we've been, we've been doing this for what, seven years now? Um, I think this particular one is going to be especially rambly and full of anecdotes about our personal copings of 2020. Yeah, and I feel like I haven't engaged with game the same way I was the other years. Like normally I always have a playlist and I try to do the most of it, but this year was just a mess of, oh, I just want to play that thing today. And like went back to a lot of old games like Final Fantasy VIII for no reason, but then couldn't invest like two hours for some indie I really wanted to see. So I, I don't know. It's just been a mess. My playlist has been a mess this year. I, uh, I mean, I don't know how much, once we hit the rhythm, I don't know if we'll continue to do it, but I hope we dig into this. I want to know your mental state at every moment of these games. I want to hear the deterioration through Animal Crossing and every, <laughs> every bit of it. We got to capture it here. We have to archive our 2020. Yeah. But I, yeah, yeah, I feel the same way. I, I think I played more games than ever before. And I feel like I have, despite having played so many, like I've engaged with, with them on a, just in a completely different way, like in a mushier way, in a less, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, it's been strange. I probably finished long games more than any other years. Like, I finished at least four or five 40-hour game this year. But, like, I don't... I'm not even sure I remember them. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm excited <laughs> for it. I, I'm, I really want to see how this turns out. I want to look back on this year. In I want to listen to this podcast five, six, seven, eight, nine years from now. I want to look back on it and say, wow, we really... I want to hear us having dropped the ball. Maybe I just want it to be weird. I want it to stand out. I want to. I want to remember the, how we engage with video games for better or worse. So yeah, I as usual, um, you know, this is a this is a spoiler filled thing. So if you know, for the people who may be listening to it, listening to this, know that uh, we're going to talk openly about just about everything that we have played. And, you know, as usual, a, uh, a shout out to our dear friends, Anna and Andrew, who used to do these podcasts with us. And, you know, really the only reason that they're not doing them with us is because we're the, we're the you know, the ones playing 80, 90, 100 games, which is, you know, maybe not a healthy way to live your life. But hey, we did it. Did it again. <laughs> yeah, Here we, we did it. Like, <laughs> it's uh, tiring for the whole year, but for one day, I feel great about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Okay, so uh, for those of you who are joining us, uh, you know, our, I mean, I'm just going to dig into it again. Uh, our usual structure for these is we are going to walk through an alphabetical list of every game that we played this year, specifically setting aside our favorite games for further discussion. And then uh, part two of the podcast is typically where we discuss those favorite games and we order them into a top 10 list. So if you are someone who doesn't want to engage with 80 games at once, you could just maybe jump straight into part two and listen to us talk about all the best ones. Should we start now? Yeah, I mean, we could start now. Um, okay. I, you know what? I, I'm going to... Okay, I got two two last things to say. Okay. Uh, before we dig into it. For one, I'm sad that we're not doing this in person. I'm just going to say it, you know? Like, I Obviously. miss you a lot. I don't I don't talk to you. You know, it, it's not the same. And not being able to, you know, see your... Feel your heated anger about these video games from uh, from across the internet. <laughs> and then I, I did write down my, my one note here. So I always try and have... Um, a framing for the year and sort of like the the thing that has stuck out to me about the year in games and aside from you know the the pandemic and everything else going on in the world aside from all that stuff the one thing about the games themselves that i've noticed uh, this year is that 
I felt like UI got really good this year. I felt a lot of a lot of video game UI kind of melt away and either be explicitly um, visual and really well designed or invisible. And I really appreciated that. Uh, and then the times where it wasn't, it made me very angry. Yeah, I feel, you, you, I feel you're right for most of the year. And then in November, we had three open world with pretty bad UI. That just makes me, that just made me really, really angry. Anyway, uh, I'm just going to add, like, I, I always feel the need to say that. But, like, I love video games. Uh, I love people that works on video games. Sometimes we're mean. Sometimes we're like bad people. I think we think that by argument we're getting to new places in theory that are interesting to talk about. But like, we're not here to blame anyone on anything. I completely, completely agree. With with only a couple of exceptions. Keep in mind that if we played a game long enough to want to talk about it, you know, we we probably liked it enough. So all. Let's just say games are great. Keep talking about games. Yep. Uh, so let's kick it off here with 3 out of 10 by Terrible Posture Games. Uh, I don't know if you played this at all. No, I haven't. Um, so three, uh, 3 out of 10 is a five-episode animated uh, sitcom of a video game. Did you finish it? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, yeah, so it's part choice-based narrative and part... You know, this is going to sound reductive, but I guess like you know, a part minigame collection. You play a an artist who has just arrived to her first week at uh, a studio called Shovelwork Studios. And um, their sort of like claim to fame is that they make games that are 3 out of 10. And they're very proud of their score of 3 out of 10. And so she gets really angry at them for sort of being so satisfied with themselves over 3 out of 10. And it's a lot of, um, it's a lot of in-jokes about the industry. The, the game they're working on is called... Um, uh, uh, surfing with sharks and it's an endless runner and then they're like oh we've got it we figured out we cracked the code let's make it an endless runner that ends and they're like very proud of themselves <laughs> very proud of that and then you know there's a lot of jokes about you know like their boss coming in and being like okay you got to make a battle royale now it's time we're switching directions we're changing it all and i enjoyed engaging with it sort of as the sitcom thing i think if the episodes had been two hour episodes or something i would have been annoyed but you know the whole thing said and done is maybe maybe three hours okay but it was cute. It's fun to have those jokes that are often not sort of dealt with. You know, it's that it's it would be a good inside baseball contender if we were still talking about inside baseball games. Or favorite category. <laughs> yeah, it seems like I I don't know. You told me it wasn't like something special that I absolutely needed to play, but I'm I feel we haven't heard that much about it. But like, it's nice to hear that it's just a a very light, puppy, nice, fun thing to go through. Yeah, and the like the animation looks good, and I'm not sure what their business model around it was, but you know it was it was all free. It was just on Epic. Yeah. Like all five episodes were just there, so I I'm not sure how that works, but hey, good on them. I'll, I, I mean, yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> uh, tell me about M ten MG. Yeah, I don't know if we're supposed to say ten milligram or something. So ten uh, MG or ten milligram is a small uh, experiment game um, where they just use. Um, mechanic that you already know from very classic game and then turn them around in some interesting way. So a small example I can give is that you're playing Snake for a little while and after, um, when you finish your Snake game, the, 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 the shape you created with your Snake turned into a Tetris pieces that you need to fit some somewhere around. So it's just, um, I think it's 15, 20 minutes long. It's just like 10 small experiments with gameplay that are always cute and fun and like 
most of them would make probably for a bad game if they were explored further, but like just because it's more about the surprise of how they're gonna shift that mechanic you already know around, it just makes for a very fun, quick thing to play through, and I, I, I really liked it. Like in, I feel a lot of uh, experimental uh, HLIO smaller games um, are more interested into stories and the emotion you can uh, give with um, video games as a medium, but that's that's all mechanic, but still managed to be experimental, and, and I really liked it. Uh, it's not something that's gonna stay with me for a long time, so, but um, I think it's two bucks, like, if you want to encourage small, smaller developer doing interesting thing, I, I think it's worth going through. I didn't realize it was a bunch of short, like, WarioWare-esque, like, a, a, a contiguous WarioWare. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah, I, and I feel it's a perfect um, structure for just saying, oh, I have a bunch of ID, they don't make great game by themselves, but, like, it, they're fun to explore, just put them in the game. Awesome. Um, all right, next up on our list here, a monster's expedition through puzzling exhibitions. And I think this game should be set aside to discuss uh, for the best games of the year. I agree. After that, we have Amnesia Rebirth. I mean, did you, did you end up playing any Amnesia Rebirth? No, I'm too scared. I'm too much of a scaredy cat to play scary games. So this, this one was, it's a kind of a weird one because it's, it's a case of a game where I think that it's, um, it, there is something in there. And I like, I really appreciate that it is trying to be this psychological horror thing rather than, you know, playing on jump scares. I was actually kind of annoyed reading a lot of, you know, a lot of the discourse around this game was like, oh, it's not very scary. But if you play through it, like there's very few moments where it even feels like it is attempting to be frightening in any traditional way. There's, um, so the premise of the game is you are a archeologist. It's late 1930s or the 1940s and you are arriving to, I can't remember exactly what you were looking for, but you arrive in Africa and you your plane crashes and all of your crew has gone missing. So you're trying to find them and one by one you find them sort of brutalized or dead and you are trying to piece everything back together. And then at some point everything kind of starts to, like you personally start to lose the thread and you, you start having hallucinations and you look down and you're pregnant. And then as the game is going on, your pregnancy is is continuing and it's going at a very, very rapid clip. Uh, up until the point where all of a sudden things go even further off the rails and you realize that there is uh, some type of alien magic going on and you go into a completely different dimension where there's aliens and, um, gosh, um, what is what is the creature in Harry Potter called? What? The what are the... Deathly Hallows? I don't know. No, Deathly Hallows are something else. Um, anyway, there's they're basically like big spooky ghost monster aliens that are floating around. And, oh, um, like in Final Fantasy VII. Yes, exactly like in Final <laughs> Fantasy VII. Yeah, we need to remember what this Harry Potter creature is called because this is going to come up a lot. <laughs> so anyway, it's all that to say, like, you know, there's not... I think that the issue with this game is that even though it, it does some things that I really enjoyed, uh, you know, it's for the most part, it's a walking sim with, uh, with some very slight immersive sim elements to it. Uh, and I... I I really liked the basic art direction in it, and I, I wanted to see it through. But I feel like it does a lot of things. Um, a lot of things are are not well enough like articulated in either the gameplay or in the plot, and there's a lot happening, and a lot of the time you are just trying to keep up with everything they're throwing at you rather than kind of engaging with the, the slower elements that are sort of what make it stand out. And that's not because any of it is so, you know, the gameplay itself is very, very light. I, I always felt like I was kind of one step behind the gameplay. Like, I spent, I spent too much time in areas... Um, that the rhythm kind of broke up, like the pacing wasn't great in the game, which is weird because I thought the pacing in Soma, at least on a narrative level, was so strong. Uh, so obviously this is by Frictional Games who did Soma last. But there are some really good scenes that I love. Like there's a moment where you are, 
you have to use a tank to blow up a wall. There's like a you know a defunct uh, a defunct giant tank, and you get inside it, and then you can't get the hatch open. So there's this moment of like claustrophobia of you just kind of being trapped in this very small space, which is not unlike uh, some of the stuff in Soma, but I found it really, really, really effective. And I love that. And they, they do a lot of smart things really early on where they're using, you have to hide in the shadows because the sunlight is so oppressive that you're kind of, you're kind of jumping between, between areas where there's a lot of, a lot of shade. And I think that that's a really smart mechanic. And then by the time you end up in the second half where there's all the, the aliens and you're in a totally different landscape like that's not uh, a going concern anymore and i feel like then you are they're trying to frighten you in different ways but you've i don't know i just felt i felt like it didn't work everything felt so disconnected in a way that i, I never felt like there was any real threat because i was jumping between anyway jumping between obstacles in a way that didn't really work for the flow anyway that's that's kind of it that's the game i i'm surprised uh, how much we didn't hear about it like I'm, a sequel to amnesia should be like a massive thing and i feel um like, I, I really like Soma, but I feel like Frictional Game have been uh, struggling to uh, get back to that level of success. Yeah, I, I loved Soma so much. It made me, I did, um, I did immediately re-download Soma when I finished it, because there was, there was just enough magic here. It just didn't quite all come together the way I, I would have hoped, but anyway. Um, hey, I marked down Among Us here, 2018's Among Us. Do we want to talk about Among Us? I don't know. I, I haven't played it at all. Like I've seen people play it. Oh really? But like I don't have I don't have enough friend to risk losing them to Among Us. Anna is a serious Among Us player. Yeah. She uh she can she can throw you under the bus real quick. <laughs> um anyway, we don't really need to talk about it. I think I think everybody kinda knows what Among Us is. Uh, I don't think it's one of the best games of the year, but I think it was really interesting to have a worldwide phenomenon thing pop up this year. Uh, and there were a few of those, but I, I really like this type of asymmetrical game period so it's i find this you know it's nice to have something to pop into that most people have access to and uh, and enjoy yeah and it's perfect for this here really yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah a lot of backstabbing <laughs> <laughs> yep um tell me about ancient enemy yeah ancient enemy is the new game from guardian games they did um oh man i forgot the name but it's a solitaire rpg and it's the third one they did uh, the first one was a Regency solitaire thing, uh, like Jane Austen looking thingy, and the other one was Victorian era, I think. And uh, they're a very fun game. Um, they're very uh, like slight RPG with like solitaire rules, uh, where you play solitaire uh, solitaire card game, and they're very fun and uh, very easy to get lost into, and they're pretty great podcast game. And I really liked Enchant and Me. The problem I have with this one is that the um, it's very generic fantasy. The story is very generic and everything around it makes it for very generic fantasy. And I find that super disappointing because gameplay-wise is the best of their game, but setting-wise it's the least interesting. Like I'd rather have this be a Jane Austen era RPG where I'm trying to flirt with right. dudes than this like very cheap uh, Tolkien ripoff where I'm fighting orcs. Um, it's still a very fun game. It's still a very good podcast game, I'd say. But like, just skip around the the story. It's not interesting enough, and that's kind of a bummer when they did better story before. I think. What, tell me, tell me about it. When did you uh, When did you play Ancient Enemy? Give me the month. Um, 
March? What was your anxiety level right around ancient enemy time? Uh, no, look, so March was the beginning of the pandemic, but it was the time where my company was like, oh, we're just going to send you one for a month and we're still going to pay you. I was like, that's great. And I really liked that plan. Okay, so ancient enemy. You didn't expect the pandemic to last for a full year at that point. Well, maybe some did, but like at the time it was just, I have paid vacation. It's nice outside. I can go take walk and whatever, and it's okay. I was just curious. I just I want to I want to dip into it. And like I could, <laughs> I need to add more. But like I could, it was a time where I could play two hours of Enchant in me in a day and not feel bad about it because I had a lot of free time and still could program and do like stuff. Whereas if I'm like when I went back to work, I just stopped playing that game altogether. Like I never touched it again because I needed to be productive with my time and. These kind of game art productivity sync, like where you just put free time and like lose it forever. Yeah, I know that feeling. Yeah. I played a lot of Slay the Spire this year. <laughs> Me too. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, I don't know what this game is. What is A New Life? I, like, I'm not sure I should talk about that game because it's the kind of thing that maybe going to rub people the wrong way. So A New Life is a new game from Angela E. She made... Um, a uh, visual novel called Miss Message, I think, is there, is there other game? Miss Message is free, A New Life is like two bucks. It's a very short uh, visual novel with very, very lovely art. And that's about it. The art is very lovely, but like it's probably, it's just a very bad story and it's, like it's terrible, uh, openly terrible. And I'm, I feel kind of an ass to say it, but like, it's the story of two women they met that meets, they fall in love, two young women, they fall in love, a pandemic happened, one get the virus, she dies, and that's the end. And um, the problem is that the love story itself is very generic and it feels like kind of a wish fulfillment because like the two characters do not exist. They don't have any personality. They're just like two pretty people that meet in a random way and then fall in love just for the second of falling in love. And then one of them die for no good reason other than she needs to die for the story to have pathos. And like, it's something that happened in 20 minutes. And it's like, it's like a bunch of very bad cliche about queer stories. And it just made me pissed off so much. Uh, so much so that when the other character died, I just started laughing because of how bad it is. And I feel like kind of an ass because like the artist doing those games is very, it, it, she's a very good artist, but like it's a visual novel. You only have the heart and the, the writing and like one of those two elements is just so poor. And like video game stories are really bad in general. Like even like I'm going to argue to have in top 10 some triple games where I think the stories are quite just fine. Like they're interesting, but they're not that well written compared to what happens in like literature or cinema. This is bad for a video game. Yikes. Like compared to other video game, this is badly written. I'm I'm dying to go look it up now. How how long is this game? Twenty minutes. Okay. Sometimes you don't find you don't find the thread. I, I get it. Yeah, well, it, what was weird for me is because like I've heard a lot about Miss Message and um, people liked it. I haven't played it. Maybe that one is better. And like looking at the reviews about A New Life were very, very positive, but it was mostly user reviews. And like I was expecting something 
I was expecting like a hidden gem and then I fall into this, which is just a bunch of queer cliche in a row that I've seen like a thousand times. I'm like, why? And, and the answer is the art. And I find that super disappointing, like good on art for having success. But like, I think I find that disappointing in the, in the video game medium where there's a lot of creators doing very interesting stuff and people are latching onto this game because it's a lot of wishful fulfillment and like cheap tragedy and all that kind of stuff. It just made me disappointed. Ah, uh, well, all right. Yeah. Don't worry. If if you want me to bleep it all out, I can still bleep it all out. I can. We can still go back and change it. We can still just say, "Oh, it wasn't good," no, and, then, like, and then roll with it. <laughs> I still like good on earth for having success, and like the art is very good. It's hard to make great art, so I'm not blaming that. I just and you know what? Not everyone needs to like everything. You can be the minority, and good for everybody else for enjoying their things. They're allowed, and yeah, that's it. It doesn't. It doesn't take away the game for us to not like the game. And again, we all these games were at least worth talking about. Yep. Animal Crossing. Yep. Animal Crossing we're going to talk about later. Go for it. Let's move it down. Tell me about Animal Farm. So uh, Animal Farm by Nereal, this, these are the developers of Reigns. Um, I didn't actually, I'll be honest, I didn't play too much of it. Um, I, I wasn't super fond of it either. I think that, I just wanted to bring it up because I think it's interesting. It's a thing that happens, I think, a lot with uh, licensed video games. And this is something where it, it's, it is a board game where you are managing the animal farm and you are playing out the sequence of events from the George Orwell novel. And I think the issue it falls into is, at least for me as a, as a player, having read this story and knowing where it's going to go, I immediately started building into the story. Yeah. So, you know, ha since I know Boxer, Snowball, Napoleon, I was just basically trying to go through the motions of those characters and set the world up for that story to happen as opposed to actually playing a game that engages with the themes of Animal Farm. I just felt like I was playing a different, just like a retelling of that exact story. And, and the time I spent with it is, you know, maybe about the same amount of time it would have taken me to read the original novel. And since it's telling me the same plot, I didn't... Um... Anyway, it made me really want to reread that book. But uh, yeah, I, I it just... Um... Yeah, it just didn't do much for me, but, you know, maybe there's more in it if I'd spent more time with it. I, the art is great, but, yeah, that's it. Just wanted to mention it. Okay. It's interesting interesting to see licensed stuff that's at least swinging, even if it's not successful. Yep. Uh, Astro's Playroom. Yeah. This is a game by Team Asabi. This was the pack-in game for the PlayStation 5. We both played it. <laughs> yeah. It, it wasn't very good, I don't think. Um, and that's not to take... You know, that's not to take away from the things that it does neatly. You know, like it looks great, but really it is a tech demo for the controller of the PlayStation. But it got the way that the games media sort of talked about it was as if it was this life changing Wii Sports esque, like seminal moment for game hardware. Right. And I don't think it was that. No, no, it's, absol it's absolutely not that. I think it's totally fine as a back end. I was happy to play it as a back end because there's no other game using the ps5 controller this way like i even demon souls and um spider-man like don't use the, the the controller this way so it was nice seeing the vibration or oh, that thing works even if i don't like everything about the controller uh it was nice seeing how they could use it in the future in games but that's it i'm so perplexed by it every time i see it i still kind of think this like huh what, what am I missing? What's wrong with me? Like, where, why can't I have fun? Yeah. <laughs> What's our problem? I mean, I had fun with it, but like, it's, 
I felt like I was uh, being marketed to when I was playing it. Like when, like it has a lot of um, PlayStation nostalgia, and like they're showing you old PlayStation stuff, and then like PS3 interface music playing in the background of some novel or stuff like that. And I, I felt like I was being pandered to, and in a way, you kind of want to because like you just bought that six hundred dollars new console, yeah. so like you kind of want to be pandered to, but. On the other side, I'm like, oh, I was stupid for spending that much money <laughs> on this thing. <laughs> I did enjoy looking for the, so there's a lot of little vignettes. So it's a, you know, it's a Mario's, it's a Mario-esque open space. And, um, you know, you're basically just going through the motions of solving mini puzzles. But I did like the little vignettes where you would see, you'd see these little robot these cutie robots kind of like dressed up and miming PlayStation characters. Mm. I think that was the Easter egg stuff that I liked because there were a few that you'd look at and go like, damn, I, I know this one, but I can't yeah. put my finger on what it is. And you kind of stare at it for a while and you go, like, ah, it was Patapon, of course. <laughs> the, those are the best. Like those you're not sure about. I kind of, I wish there was a way to find what they were about because there's some very obvious ones that are just like, oh, okay, you're doing this. Yeah, I see what you're doing. Uh, whereas it gets interesting when, when it's a little more um, niche trivia or something. I don't have much to say about that. It's just playing room. It's not. It's not special. I don't understand. That's it. Yeah. Uh, moving on to Beyond Blue by Eline Media. Um, so this was a game that it's on just about everything. I think I, I played it on Apple Arcade. You play as an ocean diver who is with her crew streaming her dive to follow a whale who's giving birth to their their baby. So it's a little bit hollow um, on, on like a narrative level. It tries to do a lot, and I'm not sure that it's all successful. I did ultimately enjoy it just because I kind of enjoyed being underwater and following following this whale. It has a bunch of interstitial interstitial documentaries, documentary clips, which I think are just an ad for um, uh, uh, Blue Planet or one of those. Anyway, I think I think it's okay. Blue Planet. So it also name drops James Cameron quite a bit in the <laughs> in those little vignettes. Nice. Um, but sort of in the you know, like a lot of these things do, I did eventually, it, it gave me just enough um, sort of like actual science that I all of a sudden became intrigued and started paying attention to the world a little bit differently. It's, uh, I don't know if this was an Apple TV thing or if this is the reality of the game, but this is one of those other, this is one of those games where I have a note down that says like, the big shame here is the UI because there was like, there, you spend a lot of time looking through a, a camera and when you're looking through the camera and it's sort of like there's so much interface on the screen, I was like, I just want to be underwater with my whales. Please stop. I don't just let me swim forward and see the pretty whales. Right. And, it, you know, there's a, there's an interpersonal drama going on, you know, when you're back at your base and there's a, uh, you know, a, a poacher story that sort of becomes the thrust of the narrative. So there, you know, it's, again, it's a lot of like it's kind of rote in some spots, but I did. There really was something about just being underwater and having the whole game kind of have this blue aesthetic that, at least in the middle of August or whenever I played it, had this feeling of, oh, this is refreshing. I'm enjoying my, <laughs> I'm enjoying my underwater experience. Right. Yeah. Then that's that's basically it. All right. Talk to me about Bird Alone. So Bird Alone is um, is a bird friend that you install on your phone and um, it's like your new best friend. Uh, it works a little like um, an Animal Crossing thing, except that you just have this bird on your phone that you're going to see every day. And every day it's going to have a different, well, the bird is going to have a different um, topic of conversation to talk about with you. And uh, it's going to ask questions and you're going to answer like 
whatever and sometimes he's gonna ask to you to draw something and you're gonna draw something for him and uh, sometimes he's gonna want to sing stuff and you're gonna help him sing stuff that's kind of about it but um the thing that makes bird alone is just that the writing is very funny and very nice and the way they use um ui text is very good at conveying excitement and friendship i i, I really loved bird alone um i love there's dead eyes just just Sam looking yeah, at there, Sam, you're sorry. too kind, just like staring at you. And then it's like, I love you. <laughs> and then it'll start like cheering. And then like all of a sudden you'll be exclamation marks all over the screen. Like, we're best friends. And, and it's jumping Yeah, I, I really like, I really, really like Bird Alone at first glance. Um, it's just very funny and like very entertaining to talk with your bird friend. Except there's not that much to do with them and... It peters out pretty fast for me. Every time I turn it back on, I'm I'm into it again. But yeah, I can't I can't do a full you know a full seven day cycle with Sam. Yeah, like yeah, you expect it to play it every day, but like really, like I go see the friend once a weekend. It's more than enough. But still, every time I start it, I just have this big grin on my face because the bird's great. Uh, I also like that um, that the bird. When I first started it, I was I got the feeling that the bird would just kind of echo whatever whatever you were sort of giving it. Mm. But the bird definitely has kind of an identity in un, like unto itself. Like at some point it starts talking about it's like oh the greatest joy in life is just lying down and existing. <laughs> and I was like, Oh um wow, okay. You and I had different days. I'm happy that you had such a good day, Sam. I'll i I'll see you later. <laughs> yeah. It's a really fun thing. Uh, okay, our next game here, still in the bees. We got Bleeding Edge by Ninja Theory, which is a uh, kind of a strange off-the-beaten-path game for Ninja Theory. It is a objective and team-based competitive game. Uh, it was a Game Pass debut, and I, I kind of think it might already be off the map. It uh, It's not great. It's the kind of game you look at and you're like, this is, gonna, this is not going to have the player base to survive more than a year. Yeah, and so it's one of those things where you, you sort of turn it on. I, I think the objectives are basically fun and, and work kind of well but then you when you get into like the actual ui and picking your characters there's a lot of um very macro fine-tuning of like hey this stat goes up and this stat comes down and here equip this one extra ability and then back out this, to this ability and you anyway and i i didn't end up playing much i'm like i'm sort of happy to have tried it but uh but that's it okay um i don't know what this game blood roots is yeah the next game we have is blood roots so blood roots um is like um it's very similar to Outland Miami, the way you play it. So, like, kind of a top-down, uh, you're fighting people real quick and, like, you die in one hit and you repeat those levels very quickly. It has a Canadian edge. Basically, you're playing a trapper from the era um, and, like, you're trying to avenge the death of your family, if I, if I remember well. Like, the story is not important, but the thing that's nice is... It's a very silly take on Outline Miami, so you can jump on uh, barrels and like roll with a barrel with an axe in your hand and like throw the barrel at enemy and then throw your axe at another enemy. Uh, it seems to be made uh, for speedrunning in that it seems to be made like the, the, the end game of the game is basically score and, and um, speedrunning. And it's fun. Uh, I, I kind of like it and it has a nice personality. Like, I feel. Like, Outland Miami is not, I wouldn't say it's a very serious game, but, like, it's a very trashy game. And this, understand that because it's all about score and speedrunning, it 
it's a more city slapstick version of, of Anna and Me, like the violin. It's very violent, but like it, it is in a very slapstick way. And I really like games that integrate French Canadian culture a little. Uh, so I think it was developed in Montreal, at least the publisher is from Montreal. And it's like, it's like, it doesn't have that much of our culture in it, but like you recognize the, the, the history of Canada in it. And that's quite nice. It's not for me. Uh, I think that game has a very specific public and I feel it's pretty well made for that public. I didn't care much for it in the long run, but it's well made enough that I could see uh, people enjoying it. Cool. Yeah. I don't know what the next one is. Bodyless, I've never heard of that. So Bodyless, you are actually the person who told me to play Bodyless. You just recommended it to me out of the blue. Oh, okay. It's a VR game. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Uh, so Bodyless, so I, I actually think that uh, I think this could have been a game of the year pick for us. Um, frankly, like as a as a white guy in his thirties, I don't quite feel equipped to grapple with it. It's a game about nineteen um, seventies Taiwan. Oh, that's cool. And uh, the the martial law that you know was enacted during that period, and um, it's it's more or less just a VR art installation. It was apparently like a timed thing, so it is now lo- now no longer available to play. It was a thing that was up for the month of October of this year, or or maybe up until the end of October this year. And you you don't really conduct a role. You are sort of a ghost occupying the you know the space around you, and you you spend a lot of time just sort of drifting through the world. It's about a half hour long, but the vignettes are absolutely beautiful, and there's a lot of really great scenes in them. There's there's one where you are, um, where you are just kind of wafting through a parade, and then the you know it'll go from um like monochromatic into colors. There's a scene where you're uh, you're sort of bubbling or you're you're bobbing up and down on water, and you and everything above the water will be a certain like a certain vignette with a lot of different colors underneath the water to be a different vignette with different colors. Oh, that's cool. There's, there's a scene where you're sort of looking at, there's a like newspaper clippings and all kinds of stuff around you. Like lots of, lots of photos of people gone missing and whatnot. And you look at the photos and you can see everybody's face. And then as you stare at them for longer, their faces start to, you know, disappear and blur out and turn to black. And there's anyway, it's very cool. There's a lot of really striking imagery in it. And I, I really, really enjoyed it. It's um, yeah, it was just, it was neat. It was cool. It was, a, it was a, an, an exciting thing to try this year. That sounds very good, actually. Like, I'm, well, if it's not available anymore, we'll see. But like, maybe one day, I can try it. Yeah. Uh, what do we got next? Boreal Tales. Oh, we have a str- we have a string of games here. I haven't played Boreal Tales. I think that our next two games, Boreal Tales and Bug Snacks, both should move on for our for our later okay. discussion. Um, how much carrion did you play? 30, 40 minutes, something like that. Okay, I played about the same. I really like the movement in Karyan, but everything else just left me cold. Like, uh, so Karyan is a 2D game where, uh, 2D side-scrolling game where you're playing a, a monster in an horror movie. So you're like this big blob with a lot of tentacles uh, in a science facility and you're trying to get out and kill scientists as you do, uh, as you're getting out. And it's a very cool uh, power fantasy for a minute because like, I don't know, it's very fun to move around, like you're moving around, um, I don't know, like a Spider-Man, but you have like tentacle going everywhere, so you're just moving around very easily, freely, and there's a big way, the creature and the movement has a great weight to it. And like a great weight and also, oh sorry, I was going to say a great weight and also very fast. Yeah, and you're very fast and everything, and you feel like powerful when you like blow through a door and just grab three scientists in your tentacle and just throwing them around and it's very funny and everything but i just didn't care much about everything else 
everything else around the game. Like I just, I really like the power fantasy of being the monster, but like I, the gameplay itself, I didn't care about. And the world itself, I just didn't find interesting. Yeah, I, I have sort of the same feelings you do. I, I was really into it on a on a mechanical level. I I ultimately think you know, and this is my, I have a you know a, a bias against. You have to really work hard to sell me on a pixel art game, even when they look really good. And I I think that for me in this case, I was maybe just not I was not so interested in exploring the rest of the world of Carrion, even though I really was enjoying the basic mechanics yep. of Carrion. Uh, I did not play enough Cardo to talk about. Did you? Uh, not really. I found the um, Cardo is a game I would want to play more of because I found the, the, the main mechanic to be very interesting. So Cardo is like um, it's like a top-down Zelda game in a way. There's no fighting, but I mean you're just um, like you're mapping the world, and the map is all tile-based in a way. And when you're in the map, you can move the tiles around, which makes for some interesting puzzle uh, in that if. If I don't know, you're looking for water, uh, some character tells you you need to find a sea that is at the east of where we are right now, but there's no water at ease, but there's some water on your map. Uh, in the west part of the map, you can go in the map and then move the water on the other side and then find the water you're searching for that way. And I found that very interesting. I didn't play enough to... to, to, to um, I don't know, I don't... I didn't play enough of it to it uh, for it to stick with me, but I still found the main mechanic interesting enough, and I'm curious to see where it goes. So I feel like I'm gonna play more of it. Uh, I don't think it's a game that would have made our top ten at the end of the day, so that's why I just stopped playing it. Um, but save it for a cozy winter day. Yeah, cozy winter day, and it's like it, it's those kinds of in the game that seems to have just the one ID, but the one ID is interesting enough to work for two or three hours. And it, the, like, I don't think the story is going to be that interesting. The heart is good, but like, I don't, it's not something that's going to get me, but like, it's an interesting mechanical idea that you're, you just want to see true, basically. Yeah. Um, okay. So the next game is Convenience Store by Chilla's Art. Um, I, I can't remember where I found this game. I think I might've just downloaded it on a whim. It's a very short uh, PS1 aesthetic horror game and there's been a lot of ps1 aesthetic horror games this year and a lot of them i really liked so maybe i'm just a sucker for that you know general um general look well there's been so much that there's a, i think there's a bundle on itch that i own uh, on steam that's like five or six of those uh, yeah i should i should go through them all because for the most part i like them yeah so this this game is I, you know i didn't think it was great but i enjoyed my time playing through it you are you are working the night shift at a convenience store in japan and so every day you wake up and you walk through this small village and there's no one around because it's more or less the middle of the night and there's really nothing to speak of. It's just kind of dead around you and you arrive, you you kind of cross the gates of this town and there's nothing excite, uh, nothing in sight except for this glowing convenience store just across the parking lot. And so you slowly make your way over to the convenience store and you get inside and all of the, the humans that, uh, you know, that shop at the convenience store and work at the convenience store are just these generic you know, non-gendered models that have 3D photos plastered onto their face. So it has that really creepy PS1 look about them. And um, yeah, and then you more or less just, you know, poke around the store and work there for a while. And it has a, um, it's definitely riffing on, you know, Ringu, right? Uh, like a, a, a Ringu thing. So you do a lot of like looking through the cameras and, and seeing if there's anything around. Every once in a while, you might catch a glimpse of something and you're like, wait, what, what was that? And more often than not, it is nothing. And then there are, you know, a, a couple of moments where 
in fact, there is something. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Uh, but you, you kind of go through this same loop, you know, I, I want to say three or four times a- until the story concludes. And, and the story is nothing, you know, not really anything even to comment on. It was more just I enjoyed being in a convenience store more or less alone mm-hmm. at, you know, late night. And um, yeah, I, I liked it. Okay. I haven't played Creeks either. Oh, okay. Uh, Creeks was another Apple Arcade game that I played from, um, I can never know how to, I never know how to pronounce it, Amanita Design, I think. Yeah. This sounds okay. Uh, the the makers of Samorost and um, Chuchel and Chuchel, yeah. Uh, Creeks is a pretty by the numbers two um, D two D puzzle game. You know, sort of in, in you see so many of them, it's almost hard to like you know do the comparison game because uh, you don't you don't know who started it. But the the general mood and aesthetic of it is so cool that it kind of stands out above the pack, even if even if the puzzles themselves are a little bit rote. Uh, the intro is more or less the plot of Barton Fink, where you are staring at the wallpaper, the wallpaper peeling, and then eventually the lights start to flicker, and you're having some like writer's block, and then all of a sudden the wallpaper comes all the way down, and you're in this massive labyrinth that kind of goes down for an infinite amount of um, amount of floors. And so they, I, I don't because I didn't, I never finished it, so I don't know what the actual theming is supposed to be. I think it is just a, an anxiety that you are in, you know, this bottom bottomless pit of anxiety, and you're you're going through it you know with the name with the namesake in mind there is a constant kind of creaking like it always sort of feels like everything around you is moving and shifting mm. just a little bit and it's uh it's pretty cool i really like that they're going like i don't know if you've seen the trailer for their next game i don't remember the name but i really like that they're going for cute horror style yeah though i'm angry that they're stealing my style for <laughs> game, but whatever oh and you just reminded me with cute horror there are sort of in you know at, at various like checkpoints throughout the game you'll find these framed paintings and it's the mm-hmm. only spot in the game where there's a lot of color and so the color they're all very pretty you know victorian era paintings and they all have a basically you wind them up and they start to move just a little bit and most of them have these like kind of glowing eyes in the background that just sort of show up for a second <laughs> as they're as they're playing it's it's neat good oh my god um so our next game is Crusader Kings 3? Yeah. How much of that you played? I played a lot and not enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, about the same for me. I feel it's probably one of those games that would deserve to be talked about in the top 10, and we're not smart enough to put it there. I think you're on the money. I think Crusader, Crusader Kings 3 is almost definitely one of the 10 best games of the year, and I can't, I can't even begin yeah. to think about it enough to play it. I was super excited for it because like they were talking about it and they were saying, oh, it's going to be easier for new player and all that thing. I was like, yeah, I want to play Crusader Kings. I want to get into that madness with all the other people. I hear people on podcasts talking about it. I'm like, that sounds awesome. It's really my jam. I want to be like a shitty person that kills his family to keep his throne and whatever. I was really into it and then I started playing it. And then you play the tutorial and they, you have to click, yes, I understand. And I was like, yeah, well, I'm not understanding, but I'm going to click anyway because I cannot go further. And I tried to play four or five games and I ended up in war where I would get killed all the time. And I was just playing it by feeling. So I was like, oh, like my character is going to be, wants to get that part of the country and do that kind of stuff. And I was doing it by feeling and it would always end up going bad and that's not an issue i don't think it's the kind of game you win but i felt like i was just playing an excel sheet where i didn't understand the implication of everything i was doing this uh i mean also you know i agree i think you're totally right 
Um, but this game is so cool because it is, like you said, an Excel sheet. Like you're 10 seconds into this game and you're seven basically like hyperlinks deep on the Wikipedia, the fantasy Wikipedia page that you are in the middle of creating that is writing itself while you are clicking deeper into it. And you're trying to pause time, but the pages kept keep getting thicker and thicker and you can't keep track of the level of hierarchies on the map. It's um, it's so cool. Yeah, I, I wish I... I wish yeah, I could engage cool. with it. But yeah. There's a two-player or a multiplayer mode where multiple people can be... I don't even I don't even understand. I've tried to wrap my head around how that might work, but I don't I don't I don't understand how because it seems to develop at such a rapid pace. The the anyway, it's so anyway, I think this game's so impressive. I'm I'm like smitten with it and overwhelmed by it and I wish uh, I wish we could play it. Yep. How about you? Okay, before I open my mouth about Cyberpunk 2077, why don't you tell me about it? Okay, so like, I feel I need to tell my story with Cyberpunk. So it was it's end of the year. Like the the mental status is at the very bottom, and like you. So first off, I don't like The Witcher Three that much. I think The Witcher Three is a well made game, but like I really hate the writing in The Witcher Three, and because it's a game that where the writing is very important, like it. I don't think it's a great game. I don't like uh, CD Projekt. I don't like the, 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 the mood they give. I don't like the, the feeling they give me, that company. I always feel they're just a bunch of edgelords doing bullshit. Obviously, there are a bunch of people there and a lot of people are doing different things there. And I'm sure there's great people working there. I'm not blaming everybody, but the marketing around it and the marketing around Cyberpunk always made me feel like icky about it. I hate the first trailer they showed seven years ago, like where it's a sexy lady fighting people in cyberpunk outfit. I was like, that's stupid. Olivier, I think I, I think that trailer might be the best trailer for that game. The sexy lady killing people. Like I think that might be the be- that might be the high yeah, point of this I, game. Like I hate oh everybody was like latching onto this game. I was like, like seven years ago and I was like, you know, like they didn't develop anything. And they just have this trailer. Like, we know that. And, like, everybody saw Cyberpunk's gonna be the best thing ever. And then, okay. So, for seven years, I fucking had everything about this game. And then the first review hit, and everybody's like, it's a big disappointment. It's not as good as people say. It's bad. It's like, okay to pretty bad was what the review were. And then I finally get it. I'm like, oh, this is fine. <laughs> Like, I kind of like the beginning okay. I was expecting to hate the game uh, in every way. And, like, there's a lot of stuff that I still hate. And, like, I feel uh, it still has the edgelord mentality of CD Projekt Red. Like, everything from the fact that you can choose your genitals to a character saying fuck all the time to you. And, like, the writing is kind of very bad. And everybody is just like, fuck you. Uh, I, I, I was telling Raf the choice... The dialogue choice you have most of the time just tends to boils down to fuck you or fuck me. And you're like, everything is shit or you're just a piece of shit or basically your dialogue option. But uh, I played on PC so and it was running very well for me. So first off, it's not good at getting what cyberpunk is as a naive, but the cyberpunk aesthetic as a cool thing it got that very well for me. Like, it, it was a very impressive. It's not a good-looking game in that 
everything's kind of ugly and the ads are annoying and everything, but like it was impressive how much bullshit it detracted me at the beginning. And um, in certain moments of the game, there's a big crowd of people and you're gonna hear like different language being spoke and you're gonna have like thousands of ads coming at you. And I felt it get, um, it got overpopulation and not being overwhelmed by everything around you better than any other game for a while. And that I really liked and was, okay, there's stuff here that's very interesting. The thing you have to realize though is that it's, it's only in the set pieces that it does that. It's only in the corner of the map where they know you're gonna go. Because if you open, if you explore the open world on it, like there's not enough car. Like I feel in a story of city, it should always be, like the streets should always be filled with car that just cannot move because there's too many people. And like, it's not that. It's just when you get in an area where there's people to talk to and like when you get in an area where they, had the time and money to invest in it. Like, I feel it's a very impressive game, but all that is very surface level. Still, I was expecting to hate the game and it still got me in some spots. So I was kind of, yeah, it's better than I expected, but uh, I'm 10, 15 hours in now and I just, I can't go anymore. Like I'm, everything else about this game, like the writing is boring, the story is boring, the Shooting is not great. The like it plays like an open world Deus Ex in a way, but like it doesn't has it doesn't have uh, the variety that those immersive sims have. I don't know. It's also first of all, there's nothing really interesting about the game at the end of the day. I I can't. Uh, I think this might be the only game on the list that I have no issues just being like, oh yeah, I don't like this game at all. I like I I don't like this game at all. Um, I played more than I ought to have given that because it made me so angry to play it just being sworn at constantly and just like for no reason and not even in like a funny way or a just like it's just, it's just like aggressive and like mean-spirited and awful and it just feels so shitty to be on the other end of this game that's <laughs> screaming at you. It's just like someone screaming in your face for three hours and you're like okay but why do I like this and they're like well, shut up expletive 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 you're dumb expletive 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 do some drugs with me yeah and then the shades come on <laughs> and like can you read this like edgelord navi like <laughs> Except of, hey, listen, it's like, hey, fucking listen, you piece of shit. Like, all the time, it's like, the dumbest shit. I was, so when I finally met Keanu Reeves' character, I was finally ready to be like, okay, maybe the story's going to go someplace. I liked the idea, so the premise that you you find you're, you are killed, but because you have Keanu Reeves' like, chip in your head, he kind of like reboots you, and then you're he's trying to kill you from inside your body and you're trying to kill him. And I was like, oh, that's actually kind of interesting. Like, there's this people fighting for control of the vehicle of this body. And then... Like three minutes after you and him fight in your own mind, he's like, I think we're going to be friends now, dipshit. And <laughs> like, I was like, oh, okay. So the only interesting thing was in that was in here is now nothing. And he's still swearing at me. Um, and everybody talking about the biz. We got to get our biz done, dumbass. We're going to get the biz. <laughs> it's just this stupid game. Uh, I like the music.
music's good. <laughs> the music's good. Except, um, like, they, they license a bunch of songs from Grimes and uh, Run the Jewels and stuff like that. And you can listen to that to the radio. And sometimes when you listen to the lyrics, it's like it's self aware that they're, I don't know, like, it's the Run the Jewels song where they say stuff like, uh, Oh, we're paid for a co by a corporation to make a song and stuff like that and whatever. It's like, what's that fourth wall breaking in this <laughs> dumb cyberpunk game? It's, uh, I don't know, it's a very dumb take on cyberpunk. It's the dumbest teenager take on cyberpunk, but eh. You know what else I can't stand? And I realized playing this game and talking about you talking about the driving. What I realized playing this game is the issue that I have with cyberpunk and most of the ubisoft repertoire is kind of the same which is that they have designed a realistic world not a video game world which is designed to occupy by a player like i, I you know for all you can say about rockstar's issues rockstar's worlds are both realistic and they have um like level design where you'll cross you'll turn a corner and there'll be a vista and wide open space and areas for you to you know to navigate right whereas this world in cyberpunk is so um it's all 90 degree angles right so you're always constantly yeah you're always kind. Of, you almost kind of never have peripheral vision in this game. Um, but I really like that the idea that it's so. That's what I like about the game: the fact that everything's so cramped that you're feeling oppressed a little all the time. And I think the idea is there, but like it's exploited in such a childish and dumb way. What I was saying about the fact that you're constantly bombarded by heads. Like I like that you're constantly bombarded by heads, but when you look at one of the ads, it's just the dumbest shit imaginable <laughs> and it doesn't even look like an ad like it's just like they they went to one of their visual designer and they said like draw a woman with big titties and a dude like with his face in the boobs of the woman and he's they're all screaming and she has like a I don't and you, know, you know what the craziest thing or whatever yeah <laughs> and she's got some I don't know cyberpunk arms <laughs> figure it out yeah there's a quest later where you where you need to speak to a surgeon and like when you go see the surgeon is trying to uh, fix the mouth of a woman that has like a robotic mouth or something and like there, maybe I missed it but there was no way for me to say okay finish the, the surgery and we'll wait and whatever like there's no way to be nice it was just like oh fuck you i need to speak to you right now and then like the person getting the surgery is like oh i have no mouth what i need to do and whatever and like everybody's like fuck off we don't need to speak to you and i'm like what i want to be a nice person in this shitty world and like the game wants to be serious so much that it adds like those very shitty edge lord moments all the time and like it's not it's not interesting. It's not. I think. I think that's it. If they told an amazing story about this piece of shit that is you, yeah. But that's not like I. I, I played to the. I don't know. Part way into the second act, and was like, no, there's nothing happening here. Like I'm so disinterested. If anything, they're trying to make you sympathetic in a way that's like doesn't work either because you're such scum. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, cyberpunk. Well, one last thing. I watched a movie that's just about a piece of bunch of piece of shit yesterday and the thing that make it kind of work was that it was self-aware enough to know but i feel like cyberpunk tries to make me think that v is cool the same way they made me feel like um the fucking witcher was cool i think they they, they like that character and it's what's bugging me about it so much yeah i guess the thing with the witcher at least with that character is that you can kind of assume and I, whatever i don't like the witcher either but like you can kind of assume that the witcher 
has a history like you at least maybe that's yeah. from hanging up a third person perspective and kind of the nature of the world you feel like okay well he you know Geralt must have done some cool shit up to this point <laughs> you know maybe i didn't see it but he must have done something anyway. cyberpunk it's oh. a bad game oh i didn't like this game <laughs> wow i get i get really riled up about because I, I i anyway i also was even with hearing the reviews i was willing to kind of go like oh maybe it just it'll just be medium it'll just be you know kind of like a run-of-the-mill thing but i i yeah. did not like it all right so our next game is dark knights with poe and monroe it's a you know i don't have very much to say about it it is an fmv adventure game that is a spin-off of the shape-shifting detective which was uh very good okay okay, okay, okay. um it's uh because it's a spin-off you know it doesn't i mean anyway it, it is it is a uh, a spin-off featuring the two radio hosts from the shape-shifting detective and so it's a lot of just them bantering back and forth and um there's a lot of maybe unearned sexual tension between them, but uh, it's there. And it kind of just adds to the campiness of it all. It's it's very much a, like, Monster of the Week silly vibe between them. And there's, you know, five little mini, mini stories. Um, you know, I, I don't, I didn't like it quite as much as Shapeshifting Detective because it's, you know, it's a, it's a rare case where it was less of a game and that kept, that made it feel a little bit less involved. It's really, it really is just, you know, a, picking a bunch of dialogue options, whereas, um something like a contradiction or a shape-shifting detective you have to you're probing people with questioning and kind of trying to get them to uh to answer your questions in specific ways and there's none of that in this this is really just what what is going to be the next beat in the story but uh all that said i i enjoyed it i would play more of these i like fmv i like short fmv games period so that's that for sure I did play some Deep Rock Galactic, so our next game is Deep Rock Galactic. Uh, it's kind of a Left 4 Dead-like that you're playing, uh, where you're playing a bunch of miners going to Strange Planet and like hostile planet and trying to mine some mineral from there. Um, there's not much to say about it. I didn't play enough with other people to really enjoy it, but I did enjoy what uh, the, the small time I did play with. I, I did play it. I think it's a really good game if you're just a bunch of friends and trying to play once a week a game and talk around. There's a, there's a lot of depth here in how you're gonna go in the mines and try to traverse them because like you can one class can create zip lines and one other class can uh, you know uh, like dig through the mines and all that stuff and they all have their specialty but there's not that much depth that it became that it becomes uh, one of those uh, impossible game where you need to constantly talk and strategize about stuff and it has a very nice so two things I really like about the game is that it's great at creating so you're just the game and then you're gonna get into this very big open space and then you're gonna just throw like a light at the end of a tunnel and just seeing how big the open space is in front of you is very cool and he also has a very good uh, director type thing like they did in Left 4 Dead where you're gonna have calm moment where you're just digging around with your buddies and then you see a bunch of spider coming from the roof and whatever and then you're getting like overwhelmed by spider and it seemed like it's a very fun game but like it's nothing um it's just an it's an hangout game more than anything else for me and i just have to highlight that um just having a bunch of people in a game all hammering the rock and stone button is amazing when you have three other people who are just all saying like rock and stone 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 and it's just there everybody's just saying it at the same time and that was a delight uh, so i like this game for that alone <laughs> 
Um, I played a lot of Demon Souls. You did. So I I played Demon Souls five years ago on the PlayStation Three. Tell me about your PlayStation Five experience with the Demon Souls twenty twenty remake. I really love Demon Souls uh, for multiple reasons. One of the reasons is that now that I've played most uh, Souls game, it's crazy how easy it feels nowadays compared to other games. Like there's one bus that was a problem for me, and it was a puzzle bus, and I didn't get the puzzle very well. So that was frustrating, but like I just ran through this game. I think it took me 18 hours or something. It wasn't such a long game for Souls game. It wasn't as intimidating as it was before. So it was just like a fun stroll to killing monster and everything. It felt kind of a it felt like kind of a power fantasy in a way it shouldn't be. But it was still very fun. And they're very well designed maps. Those maps are very well designed, they're very interesting to go through. Uh, they're very interesting to poke at, to find shortcuts and everything. And I really like those games. Like the Souls games are very good. I'm surprised at how much this one uh, merged uh, sensibilities I've seen in Bloodborne and Dark Souls and that it's still a story about um, old god being, uh, like old to-do god being awakened and everything uh, in the dark fantasy world. I'm not gonna. We're not gonna argue about it in top ten because obviously it's an old game and the remake is too um, similar to the old game. Uh, one thing I'm gonna say about the remake is that I watch someone like I watch a few speedrun of the old game after finishing uh, Demon Soul and I felt the heart. Obviously the graphics are way better nowadays, but I felt that the heart of From Software was more sparse and created like they they're good i feel uh, from software other game before bloodborne were very good at creating very empty environment that were still impressive whereas this game it feels like because uh it's a new console they put all the bell and whistle in it i felt very crammed with art and i think it's hard to say like, I feel nowadays probably Demon's Souls look kind of crummy because it's an old game, but I feel I prefer the approach of From Software than the new approach, but... Can I can I give you my really my really pretentious uh, comparison for, for the difference between them? Yeah. So the original Demon's Souls back on PS3 is like a, um, like a Shakespearean drama with no set, where just the actors have to just show up and they deliver their lines and you, you're going to accept it. That's it. That's all you get. You don't get any, any set dressing. And the new Demon's Souls is like a Broadway sensation where lights are popping off at every turn and everything's happening all at once and your eyes don't know where to look. And so I'm very resentful of the shallow PlayStation 5 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I do get it, but on the other hand, because uh, it was fun to have a game that was a showpiece on my PS5. Absolutely, yeah, 100%. Yeah. I, I totally get it. I don't begrudge anyone. I'm just saying I, I, I like that original one for what it is, and I'm curmudgeon about it. <laughs> yeah, I think I like uh, the original one better, too. The last thing I'm going to say about those games, they're way funnier than people give them credit for. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It, I feel that because the I remember the first time I played Souls game, I was very stressed out. But now I know I can finish them. I'm they're not too hard for me, so like I I'm not stressed anymore. I can enjoy all stupid funny. They kind of are sometimes, even when they're cheap with you. It's always like when they kill you in a cheap way. It always feel like a 
like at the drop of a gag or something, or like the bit with the skeleton rolling is just hilarious. Like you're stuck in very narrow corridor and you hear like it's just a skeleton rolling towards you and you don't know where it's coming from, but you just hear the tatang tatang of the armor rolling on the ground. I just thought it was fucking hilarious. So I really like that. Yeah, that's not, that's good. And yeah. Okay, our next game. <clears throat> our next game is Depener Nocturne, which is a game by Co-op. Um, it's a very short thing. Uh, did you play this? No. Oh, really? Okay. So it is. Uh, it's set in Montreal, and you are you enter a depener at nighttime looking for a gift. I I can't remember why, but it's really just an excuse for you to kind of engage with this depener. Uh, I like so right out, right off the bat when you go in, they ask you you know you know do you speak French or English, and then the rest of the game will be in either English or French depending on which one you pick. Uh, there's really not much going on in it. You you kind of just walk around this depener, and there's a a jump scare horror goof in there that uh, that's pretty good. And that's re- that's really it. You know, I I, I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to disparage it for being slight because it does sort of just feel like a little homage to the existence of late night depeners. Right. But there's not really much more going on in it. You know, there's not some big narrative to it. The the big narrative revolves around getting into the basement, which needs a key to, so that you can use the washroom. And it is a long walk to the washroom, and that's that's about the extent of it. Uh, but it's cute and cool, and worth you know just mentioning. Cool. Uh, our next game is Disc Room. So Disc Room is uh, a developer Polish game. I, I think it's the same team that made Minute, or at least it's some of the same people that made Minute. Uh, it plays a little like a top-down, um, similar like to a Smash TV or um, a twin stick shooter, except that it's more like the pacifist mode in the Geometry Wars in that you cannot attack and there's a bunch of buzzsaw running around and you need to avoid them for a certain time to finish a room. It's neat. It's fun. It's fun enough. Um, and it's good at not making you frustrated because there's a ton of meta objectives to the game that are get killed this number of time or get killed by all type of different buzzsaw or stuff like that. So even when you lose, you're making some progress. Uh, the issue I have with every pacifist mode in a game like that is that you don't a little like uh, the issue I had with the carpet is that like the game's happening around you and the only thing you can do is just avoid it. And it's a game that's all about avoidance that you don't have any impact on all the game will play and sometimes it takes... Um, like you need to see how the room will play out to know what to avoid. Uh, so sometimes it can be unpredictable in bad ways. For a two, three hours thing, I, I, I quite liked it, uh, but that's it. Cool. Uh, the next game will also be up to you, I think, to have a hard take on here. This is Doom Eternal by id Software. Yeah. Um, so I really like Doom 2016, and I was really excited for Doom Eternal. And at the beginning, it feels like they kind of did well with the game in that uh, it feels great. It's a game that is, um, I was really impressed with it on the old console, on the Xbox One I was playing. Yeah. I was really impressed at the quality of the visual and that this game run at 60 at all time, never drops a frame and everything. Um, it ended up being one of the most disappointing game of the year for me because first off, they don't get the mood of the first Doom at all and the way that makes you feel that they just lucked into it. Uh, because this game, uh, I think they, 
they read the review saying that they were very funny and they were, were going to make more jokes and <laughs> like the game is filled with bad jokes that are very self-aware and not funny. Um, one of the jokes I like, okay, I mean, one of the example of a good joke in, in Doom is that one time you're going to get in an elevator and you press down for the elevator to go down. But instead of the elevator going down, it just drops because like everything is broken around it. And your guy is the Doom guy, so he survives and you don't care. And that's a good joke because like it's self-aware, but it's not... They don't show you it's a fucking joke in a way. But like the game is always telling you, oh, that stuff is funny. And like Doom guy plays Doom on his computer and he's hardcore and he listened to metal and he like they, they turn it, it feels like it has a laugh track or something. yeah they turn it in, the, in those very self-aware b comedy that are like winking at you all the time and that are just fucking annoying because they try to be funny too much and there's a bunch of that and there's a bunch of really bad idea in the design that i don't get so for some reason this game has a story <laughs> and like you should probably skip it but like why the fuck it has a story it has one full level where there's no fighting and you're just like it has a walk simula walking simulator level halfway through and it's like why Weird. what the fuck are you doing um and you see a lot of people complaining online about those but that's a one type of enemy that has a shield and that enemy the shield you need to be at a specific distance from that enemy to be able to damage them, but they're, um, they have a close attack, so you need to always be like three meters away from them and always calculate that you're at the good distance from them to damage them. Otherwise, they're just gonna use their shield, and it's just very annoying. And it's like the fun of Doom is just running around really fast and then making everything explode and then knowing when to switch weapon to use the good weapon against a good character. And when one of those enemies spawn, you need to think too much about what's happening. Like you're not feeling it anymore. You need to think, okay, I need to be at this distance of that enemy and keep this distance of that enemy to be able to manage them. And it just like throw a wrench in everything. And like that game has so many bad bad design decision that you're like why why the fuck did you do that it just ended up being a bit disappointment like um it's hard to explain because in theory it's the same game as the first one but bigger but like in practice it just feel like a game where they want to make the game more involved and more difficult by removing a gen c2 player and it just feel that the game is always throwing wrench and your strategies for you to uh, to make it challenging, but not in interesting ways. Huh. Yeah, I mean, I, I, so my issue with this game is I, like, I've, I've often felt like it was too hard for me, and that's, um, you know, maybe that's just on me. Yeah. I, because of that, I never felt at any point like I had a proper sense of flow. Like, I never felt like I was in control or I had lost right. myself to the game. And then because of that, I felt like, unlike a lot of games of this type, or even, even something like a, like a Resident Evil uh, like Resident Evil 4 or something where you feel like you're you have completed this at the maximum efficiency like I never felt like I was doing a good job I never felt like I had any mm -hmm. and I, I never I never really knew how to improve that while I was playing like I just kind of felt like I, I, would, I would get through a skirmish but I sort of felt like oh that didn't go great and then I'd move on to the next one and I'm like oh that yeah. one didn't go great either and oh well I'm making it through but I don't feel like I'm 
doing it right somehow. But I feel the game also like they were um, talking a lot before um, it released. They were talking a lot about how they they want to teach you how to switch gun quickly into into fights and all that stuff. And I feel this game does a really really bad job at teaching itself to the player. There's some moment in that game where the level design was good and everything came around in a good way where I had fun. Was this encounter was great. I really like that part. It's one of the best shooters on the market, probably the best single player shooter on the market when it clicks. But most of the time when I finish an encounter, I was, oh, I'm glad this is done with. I just want to get to the next part because uh, the level design is not there to encourage you to do stuff and the game is always pushing back against you in bad ways and in ways that it doesn't know how to explain itself to new player. And um, yeah. Doom Eternal, it's, it's also pretty telling that uh, you are not bringing it along for our our top 10 consideration. Yep. Uh, for me, that was supposed to be a shoe-in. Yeah. So like, it's my biggest disappointment in the year by far. Weird. Weird. Yeah. Uh, okay, so our next game is Dragon Ball Kakarot. Um, now, I'm, you know what? This is another one I'm kind of bitter about. And I think it's also worth noting that I'm bitter about this game, and this was a pre-pandemic game. So this this bitterness is earned. This this is a, a true disappointment here. So I'm, I'm very forgiving of Dragon Ball games just by nature of them being Dragon Ball, because I like Dragon Ball. It is fun to be Goku. Uh, this game is unfortunately just riddled with side quests and collect with side quests and collecting apples and collecting, you know, I don't know, fish right. and escorting characters around. There are not random battles, but there are grindy battles and there are just orbs everywhere that you have to collect. And the orbs are like coins in Mario. And it's, I don't understand 30 plus years into this medium, how people like the fun about collecting coins in mario isn't like you don't go back and get all the coins you're not like damn i gotta get those coins it's fun to they're a fun bonus objective along the way so it just feels so strange right. that like the core of this you know 60 hour video game they have go back and get all the coins you missed one go back go get it go get the coin again uh anyway i i didn't like it at all it also um it it uh, it plays with the canon of Dragon Ball in ways I don't like. Um, like, I wanted to just kind of go through the story of Dragon Ball as, like, an alternative way to experience it. And there are things that they say and do that is, like, oh, you've changed the story. I don't know why you did that, because everything is unfolding in the exact same manner. But you have changed the plot so that the stakes are lower. Maybe because you don't know what the plot is, is kind of the vibe <laughs> that I would get. But uh, that's um, that's also just me being obnoxious about it. I, I didn't really play enough to to say if you know to say if maybe it improves but i i was pretty disappointed yeah what do we got next dreams oh dreams you yeah well should I've... we should we put it with others i wouldn't have thought so but if if you're into it i can put this i can i can no no no, no. I, I feel dreams is something that should be there but that it wasn't the year for me to invest in like it, it I'm kind of sad this game got pushed around and didn't get the, the recognition it deserved. I think it's really fucking cool. But like I wasn't in the mindset to really invest in it the way I wanted to uh, the first time I played with it last year. But um, it, it's super cool. So uh, I really enjoyed playing Dreams. I played it right near the very start of lockdown and the pandemic. And yeah. so playing this game, so Dreams is a user-created, it's basically just a video game maker. So playing Dreams yep. is the, like, the psyche of the internet unlocked. 
and it's just a hellscape. Like it is just the worst place to be. Um, and I know it's not. I know that's not supposed to be it at all. But it is terrifying in the world of dreams. It's like Newgrounds and E Bomb's world, but like imagine it. Imagine it sunk even darker somehow. Uh, so like the first game that I played, and this was right at the start of the pandemic. I was a piece of toilet paper, and I was platforming through. Uh, barren grocery store because everyone had pulled had panicked and taken everything off the shelves and i was the last piece of toilet paper trying to escape all the coronavirus obstacles that i was avoiding that was the first game game number two you pick a world leader either trump or boris johnson and then you shoot the coronavirus that was the second game i played so it was just the third person shooter of you shooting coronavirus the third game i played i was kermit and i met my friend shrek and then there was just horrifying like hellfire all around but sonic was there and so was rick and morty and we were platforming through this hellscape together to get to the end with shrek um anyway it was a lot of that i did play one game and this maybe is telling about me um given everything else i just named i played a game where you stood in a virtual queue at disney world and just waited in line to get on your favorite ride and that was my favorite game <laughs> i liked that one but like it's such a cool thing. Like I still have it, and I have it installed on my PS Five, and sometimes I just check some random stuff on it. But like, I don't know. It's too, it's super intimidating as a as a tool, but like it's it's hard to talk about because it really is it really is a full tool, and that's what's impressive about it. I think the real games are bad. I just want to play the bad games. <laughs> that's what I yeah. want. God, it was funny. I, I I never went back in because I had such a good time with the ups, with how upset I was at the end of my first dreams. <laughs> I was like, no, this has to be the image of the of the game in my head. Uh, I never played Fall Guys in the end. How was Fall Guys? Uh, right, Fall Guys is the kind of thing you like. I saw the idea of Fall Guys at E three last year. I think they showed it. I was like, okay, that's that's gonna be a success. Like, it's obviously gonna work out for them. Uh, it's a great idea. Basically, it's um, platformer battle while where you're basically going through small platforming level, and there's a bunch of like obstacle, very silly obstacle going through you, and you're all in the same level. A bunch of like a hundred bunch of little bun trying to go through those platforming level. It's a battle while, so it's a those that manage to finish without getting knocked off of the level will go into the next, the next, uh, the next level basically. And there's three or four round uh, until everybody's died except one character, and it's a really good idea. And like from a distance, I feel the the graphics are colorful and everything seems nice. I was surprised and disappointed about um, how much this game felt sterile to me. And like you, you see the game and it felt like a small, a fun small idea, like where you're gonna play with your friend and you're just gonna laugh around because like there's some skill, but it's mostly just luck that you're not getting punched by a random ball that roll into your face and stuff like that. And you can grab to other characters, so it creates this crazy. Uh, when a bunch of characters are trying to jump to a platform, like there's a lot of people trying to grab onto you to like bring you back and make you fall uh, and all that stuff. So it's all like physics-y nonsense with 80 people involved. So it should be like this very messy fun. And the graphic encouraged this idea, but playing it, it felt very sterile to me because there's not enough craziness happening. Uh, and part of that is that it's, um, 
the, the, the UI and everything around the game is obviously trying to capture a Fortnite type thing where there's gonna they're trying to sell you costume and all that stuff. And like the voiceover and the, the the announcer are not interesting and like the, the way the text happen is not interesting and the way you get into a game is not interesting itself and it feels it quickly devolves into I don't know, just this log game that doesn't have enough personality and where you're just trying to it was just about winning after a while, whereas it should have been a game just about shitting with your friend, like doing dumb stuff with your friends. And yeah, uh, I was surprised at how soulless it, it felt for how silly the idea seems at a get-go. That's too bad. Yeah. I I mean, I'll still try, I'll, I'll try it when it's free at some point, but... Um... Yeah, I, I still think the idea is very good and like it was a very great success for them, so good on them, but like it really didn't grab me uh you know what else didn't grab me yeah find the final fantasy 7 remake final fantasy 7 part 1 remake 2020 i have a lot of very strong feelings about this game um and i like it more than i like cyberpunk yeah also so that's something okay yeah yeah it's a better game than cyberpunk okay i can go. oh yeah, yeah. It, it is it is like it's definitively a better game than cyberpunk for sure for sure okay things i like about it the soundtrack of this game is incredible. I think it might be the best soundtrack of the year, maybe something like a Kentucky Route Zero aside. Maybe, like, I think it is it is astonishing. It's so beautiful. The compositions are so sure. beautiful. The, 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 that they've taken these very small, like, borderline chiptune arrangements and then made them so lavish with so much production. It's a uh, anyway. Just the soundscape is unbelievable. Like I, I I'm so impressed with it. Um, I like how the how the characters will sometimes like talk over one another. It's a little bit. It's kind of human when they interrupt each other. Okay. There's a scene where you're having a flashback in first person. I thought that was unique, and I thought that was kind of cool. I don't remember that at all. And I like. I very much like the musical number. Um, not the songs, but the, the actual dancing musical number is excellent. Yeah, well, the cross-dressing scene is impressive because it's the thing that when they announce that they're going to make a remake, you wear, oh, they need to cut that. Like, they need to cut that thing because, like, it's Square Enix, they won't know how to handle it, and it's going to be icky. I'm not saying it's perfect, but they do very well by it. Yeah. Um, in a way that doesn't feel like it's laughing, it's laughing at crossdresser or transgender or... Um, it's a very happy and pretty fun scene. Celebratory moment? Yeah, celebratory is a good word, yeah. Yeah, and it, it, it's super fun and that scene was really impressive, which makes everything else very disappointing in comparison because that game is all... But for me, it's... If not all, most of the flaws of the original game were kept and then in the writing 
And then 20 years later, they feel even worse in a way. I think a lot of the writing feels even worse. Yeah. I, I might say a lot worse because all, like, I don't know, it's the thing that you that you could be most worried would happen, which is that a lot of the writing, and like as we, we've used the word edgelord a lot this year for whatever reason, but a lot of the writing that, that revolves around Cloud in particular is very self-serious and really obnoxious and kind of annoying. And when it was all text-based, you would kind of expect that these characters were like rolling their eyes at him or were like maybe a little annoyed at him or had some type of, I don't know, um, cognizance of the stuff coming out of his mouth. But in this game, he says stuff that's horrible and everyone's like, okay, yeah, got it, understood, okay. moving on. And it's how do any of these characters want to spend any time with this guy? He's garbage and they're all just like, all yeah. right, Cloud, let's go. Let's go on our happy, fun adventure together. I really like you, Cloud, even though you're horrible to me at every turn. Yeah. I, I personally really didn't like all the characters, all the other characters, which made even worse that there's some character uh, in the original that don't have any story, and they have one in this. And instead of being somebody that I didn't care about, they become somebody that I don't care about and annoys me on top of that, uh, which... Eh, okay, some are better than the others, but like in like every shoe of racism towards Barrett is still there. Like I'm not the person to talk about it, but I felt that all the stuff around Barrett was pretty insulting most of the time. And then there's the gameplay. I don't even the gameplay like is like I, I have I could go on and on about just the narrative constructs of this game. Yeah. And the gameplay I also just thought was button mashy and yeah, I don't understand people defending the gameplay because at least if, like, the original and I played through Final Fantasy VIII right after and Final Fantasy X right after uh, playing Final Fantasy VII because for some reason I was trying to prove myself that those games weren't that bad. And I still enjoy those games better because at least they have, like, this open world that you can explore. Well, ten doesn't, but, like, they still have more depth in how you explore the world and how you interact with the world and even in the combat. Whereas this felt just super battle mushy and it's a very linear game where you have, you have zero, zero agency on where you go. It's always forward and just a bunch of fight and very bad puzzle and that's it. But the fight are... I found the fighting system to be fucking terrible. And I hear people saying like the fight with the house in the Coliseum was that moment where the fight clicked for them. For me, it was like one of the worst moments because without unknowingly, I had equipped uh, only materials that the house was resistant against, but I still managed to win the fight. It just took me 45 minutes because I was healing constantly. And like, it wasn't hard. I was just healing and making like 20 damage instead of 200 I was supposed because of house was resistant to my bullshit. And I won all the fight in the game the same fucking way by having my healer constantly heal Cloud and just doing a bunch of damage with Cloud and it never was an issue. So I'm like, I don't see what people are finding in this combat system. I just found it to be terrible and it feels like trash. Like most of the time you press a button and then your character for some random reason, jump in the air and then do three attacks in the air without hitting anything and then jumps back on the ground and you're like, well, why Why did you attack like the air for, so, for no fucking reason? Well, I understand that they want to make a fighting system where like an input equals an attack, 
like in the Dark Souls, like they wanted something that's maybe closer to an Arkham Asylum, or I don't know where the character does some of the cool stuff for you. It just becomes like this unresponsive mess of mashing and maneuvering to all your characters. I can't believe. I think this game has so many similarities to Final Fantasy Thirteen. I just I feel like in a lot of ways they took the design doc for Final Fantasy Thirteen and they did it again, and this time everybody ate it up. Like I would rather play. I thought the battle system in Thirteen was more fun than this one. Yeah, I, I like Thirteen better than this because the battle system in Thirteen was kind of fun. It's wild. It is wild to me. And then and then the story stuff. Okay, I'm I'm not Final Fantasy Seven is not sacred to me. They can they can change stuff. Yeah, and they did change stuff, and I I applaud them for changing. That's great, but they changed some things but then kept other things in a way that just made, like they balanced each other out and they just made the story less interesting. Like, okay, they wanted to introduce Sephiroth. That's fine. But then they had to make him, they had to change the character if they were going to have him appear in the first act. Because the whole point of Sephiroth is that he's supposed to be like Jaws. Like you're not supposed to see him. He's supposed to be omnipotent. But you beat him as a boss in this game. He's like, he's yeah. lost all impact. He's not Sephiroth anymore. So you have to change him. You have to do something with him. You can't just be like, let's add him in, but then not change anything about the character or how he, anyway. And then there's stuff like, like they made it more anime, right? So now yeah. Cloud, like there's falling debris and Cloud can leap off the rocks and jump to safety. That's fine. You want to make, you want to make an anime like Advent Children? Go for it. Go wild. But then you can't, you can't make me upset when they like explode and fall out of roof. Cause I know they're going to be okay. Cause they can jump off falling debris. So it, the stakes are yeah. gone. So we have to change the story. It doesn't work. <laughs> but like, I really like that part in Advent Children where, um, all the team comes and help Cloud by jumping higher, and it doesn't make any sense. But like, it's kind of cool in an anime kind of way. Sir, I have I have to comment on Advent Children. I have to comment on Advent Children. In at the time when I watched that <laughs> as a kid, I was like, okay, well they're level ninety nine now. Like that was the explanation, <laughs> right? And like me, and my friends were like, oh yeah, but now they're super strong. But in the first game, they're just supposed to be human people who like are afraid of explosions and guns and stuff. <laughs> right. Um, I I agree with you that they made Sephiroth not scary by having him uh, as the first as the last boss of this game. One thing I'm gonna say, I like the spectacle and like the graphics are great. So when there's like when you end up killing a god or whatever at the end of the game, like I'm happy it has all those fucking spectacle moments. I like that, but everything else, I, I'm like. That game doesn't have that much spectacle for a triple game that looks this good, in a way. Yeah. Um, and I feel at least if it were just a bunch of set pieces, I could enjoy that. But, yeah. Gosh, them, like, even before that big last boss fight, and they're all standing in front of this, like, gaping light vortex, but they just kind of <laughs> stand in a row... Like, they couldn't even, like, the blocking couldn't even be good. They were like, I don't know where to put the characters. Just, do we put them standing next to each other? Yeah, they're all, like, yeah. basically holding hands for some... <laughs> oh, and you're doing that shitty motorcycle me game before I forgot about that. Like the Yeah, that's right. That boss fight goes on forever. Ugh. I really don't like that game. I really don't understand why people are happy about this. I just find it terrible. Okay, got that off our chest. <laughs> I hold on, hold on. Actually, one last thing. Again, you can change the story. That's fine. I have big issues with how they handle poverty in this game because the original game was like a real slum was the vibe I got. But there's like a whole, there's like an upper middle class in this game. But they don't, yep. they don't do very much with it other than sort of saying it exists. But then the slums 
anyway, it's just I just don't under like they change stuff without without engaging with it, and it makes me so frustrated. Anyway, oof, the music is really good. Yeah. <laughs> music's so good. Yeah, the music's really good. The music's really good. Our next game is uh, a very light and fluffy game, and if you haven't played this, I, I'd recommend it. It was fun. Um, Five Dates by Wales Interactive. It is a FMV game where you basically make a Tinder profile and then go on a bunch of dates. Uh, it's you know maybe ninety minutes long. It's um, it's very cute. You know, it's it's nothing nothing particularly to write home about. It is more that you know that feeling when ev- like anybody, especially people in relationships, if they find out you're on Tinder, they like kind of grab your phone and go like, like I want to set up your Tinder. It yep. sort of lets it lets that this is like a vehicle for that experience of kind of setting up a Tinder yep. profile, picking the right things to say. Uh, there's not much, you know. The performances are cute, and that's it's fun. Hi Anna again. <laughs> <laughs> Anna does that a lot with my Tinder. Well, before before the pandemic, she would like to do that with my Tinder. Uh, I don't know what this game Foregone is. Foregone is a game I bought that on a whim. It's on Epic. Uh, I think it came out on Switch after, and it was sold as a, a new Dead Cells in a way. So, um, like, it's a loot side scroller that plays a little like Dead Cells, except that it's not a roguelike. It's not completely a roguelike. You're gonna upgrade it as a structure that is more similar to uh, Dark Souls. And that you're gonna get checkpoint, and if you die, you get back to that checkpoint, and you lose some stuff. But that's about it. It looks very good from a distance, and it's very bad when you play it because it feels bad. And as much I'm not a fan of Dead Cells, the thing you can say about Dead Cells is that it feels immediately great, whereas this never—it's a size cooler and it doesn't feel good. And it was early access for a while. I bought it in early access because some of the early access reviews were good. I was like, oh, it doesn't feel great, but maybe they're going to fix it before it comes out probably. And then I replayed it when it was 1.0 and it still feels bad. So I didn't play more than an hour of it. Uh, yeah, I was very disappointed in it because um, like the kind of game like Dead Cells are not my favorite game, but they're still, they're always fun to have something like that to chew on and this. Didn't feel that easy. Too bad. Um, okay, our next game is Four Months Earlier by False Vacuum Games. Um, it is a, uh, I guess it's a, a um, prologue to a game that's coming out in a couple of years. It is maybe 20 minutes long, and it is an incredibly sad game about a son and his mother who has cancer just uh, going on a walk together up a mountain to an observatory. Right. It's so sad that it almost made me angry, except that it's also lifelike enough that that it works. Um, okay. So mechanically, the, the mechanic of the game is that you are trying to match your mother's pace walking up the mountain, uh, and that's the entire game. So That's very good. Yeah, it's a good idea. I, I, <laughs> I was very impressed. Uh, so you it, often, like, speeding up feels more natural 
but then you're trying to slow yourself down to match your match her pace while you're reading. There's no um, negative impact to speeding up. It's just sort of the emotional weight you feel of like, oh gosh, I'm going too fast. I want to catch up with my mom. So occasionally she'll pause for breaths. And, and it's just the characters are kind of rich enough that they're, they're like enough little tidbits that make it worth worthwhile. Like she won't bring her cell phone with her. Um, she, she doesn't want to bring her cell phone with her because she's worried if she brings her cell phone, it's going to make the plane crash. And it just feels like so human and so um, believable. Anyway, she, you know, she's 65 and she still can't retire. And you're just kind of like having these like these normal conversations where you're just kind of catching up and you're sort of struggling to engage with each other. Um, it was great though. I, I really liked it. Um, it. It was almost, I almost wanted to consider it. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what the actual game is like. I hope it is not, I hope it is not, I hope it doesn't like up the ante on the sad because it sort of already feels right. like the, the tone is about as far as you can push it without yeah anyway that's it sounds good though. yeah it's good so uh our next game is fuser by harmonix music system and i'm gonna keep that one. Oh my oh that's exciting oh all right mm. you know what you might have a win in here just like i knew that one would be the the surprise uh yeah um and you know if we can get some carly ray jepson on our list <laughs> i can be into that <laughs> right you uh, Gears um, Tactics is our next game by Splash Damage and the Coalition. Uh, I liked it a fair bit. I, I wouldn't, yeah. um, you know, it's almost like unremarkable, but that's almost impressive in and of itself that it sort of just works and is pretty fun. It's a good strategy game. Yep. Um, it's in the Gears universe. There's maybe a little bit too much granular detail for me as a player in terms of like setting up your units and there's a lot of things you can equip on them, but it's impressive because it takes the Gears world and it doesn't make it grid-based, so you can kind of run up to any piece of cover from any angle, and the the models will kind of automatically adapt and use the spaces around them. And it's fun. Yep, I, I really liked it for about 10 hours. I think the biggest issue with the game is that it's very one-node, in that it only has the, the, the tactical game, like it doesn't have any anything between mission. Uh, not that I need it to be with like XM because I feel like XM becomes overwhelming a lot of time, but I don't know. It, it needed more variety to it. That being said, like for the 10 hours I played it, I was very impressed with it. And um, it's the kind of thing that you don't expect it to work as well as it did in a way. Um, and I was very impressed with it. Uh, I'm also, it feels great. And it's weird to say about like a tactics game like this because you don't think about uh, the game feel as much with a tactic game, but like it still has that big weight of um, gears where you feel like you're uh, pushing those big slab of meat around <laughs> and uh, they're like heavy 300, uh, they're, they're very heavy people and when they shoot with a shotgun, like it's not just a, a little pea shooter, it's a big chunky big shot. chunky gun yeah yeah it's chunky yeah. um and it's like the enemies explode in a good way like a gears game yeah but like they nearly they managed to translate that uh to a tactical game so i was it's a very good game yeah yeah uh next up for us is genshin impact which i somehow managed to not play at all yeah I don't know how to explain that game because when I think about the mechanics of this game, the only thing I think about is free-to-play system. Uh, okay. So it plays like it's a 3D adventure game where you go into dungeon and you fight people by mashing them. And you have a team of four characters that you can switch on the fly by using the D-pad. 
and all the characters are gonna have um, elemental affinities, so some characters are gonna be better against a certain type of enemies and everything. And it's a gacha game, so like you're gonna unlock new character by doing free-to-play loot boxes, and it's gonna give you a new character and a bunch of new equipment to give your character. And the thing about this game is it's very pretty. It has the um, Breath of the Wild stamina system, but it doesn't really come into play that much. Uh, you're just going to stupid dungeon and doing stupid quests and fighting stupid enemies. And if there's no skill involved, like if you're getting killed, it's because you don't have the good character and you need to spend more money on the gacha game. And if you're doing well, it's because you have the good loot for it. And I can see, because it's very pretty and because the world is big and it has more graphics than the usual gacha game, I can see how people get into it as kind of a grinding, I'm not going to think about anything and just play this game. But like, it really run me off the wrong way because like mechanically, the only thing I think about when I see this game is how they're trying to get money from me. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yep. I mean, the the thing is, it feels like it has a bigger... When you compare it to other gacha games, like they're all uh, Fire Emblem, Mirrors, or stuff like that, right? they're all like 2D uh, cheap tactic games, whereas this is a gacha game, but on a big Ubisoft Open World. So it feels like it has a bigger scope than all those games, but still, when you boil it, when you boil it down to its essential, it's the same bullshit. Haven by the Game Bakers. Uh, did you play any Haven at all? No, I didn't. But I had it installed, and I liked um, the Game Baker did um, Fury a few years ago. Oh, I didn't realize that. Uh, that's an interesting departure. Haven is a it's a combination of a bunch of different genres, and I'm surprised how well it works. It is a uh, visual novel mixed with a survival game and a JRPG. So you are exploring these uh, pretty large open spaces, and there are some, they're not random battles, but there are ba- there are turn-based battles that are happening. And as you kind of engage with the, as you, as you collect resources and, um, you know, clean, like completely empty areas of their resources and their combat uh, scenarios, you will progress co- closer to the next point where you unlock a, you know, meaningful relationship moment where you can sort of like um, sit together and you basically you're basically having a drink like sharing a glass of whiskey together and having like a very sweet moment together it's um the the actual mechanics are all very light but the locomotion feels good enough that it kind of feels fun to just um basically gliding through areas and banking banking turns and trying to like get up to high places by hitting specific points the characters are both kind of goofy, and it still has that that video game indie sweetness that sometimes is a little bit off-putting. But uh, like this is hardly adult, but it is nice that it engages with and addresses sex at all. Right. Uh, like it's not terrified of it the way some games are. So like, every once in a while, they'll sort of look at each other and be like, "Yeah, we're gonna do this. It's gonna be awesome." <laughs> and uh, uh, and I like it. Like I, I I also you know I normally when normally when we hit the the end of the year and you and i have done this podcast i'm like okay i finished this one this is as much as i'm going to get to play but I, i'll definitely play more haven i'm uh, i'm enjoying it okay well I, I i'll play i'll play it too sounds interesting all right tell me about tell me about project.playables.net slash coin uh so project.playables.net.coin uh, slash coin sorry is a new game from playable so the developer of kids uh and uh 
or favorite plug and play. So I don't remember exactly if there's that much to it other than you pick a coin and you put you put the coin in a small slot and Yeah, you do. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you put that coin in. It, it might have solved video games. Uh, project.playables.net slash coin is the ultimate Skinner box. You pick up a thing, you put it in a slot, and the number goes up. And then another coin drops, and you can pick up a coin and put it in the slot, and the number goes up. It might be the best game of the year. <laughs> yeah, probably the best game of the year. There's, there's not much to say about it, but it's great. Did I mention it's black and white? <laughs> Just a coin? <laughs> the art is beautiful. I, w- I bet we could count the lines. I bet we could count the number of lines visible in this game. Uh, anyway, anyway that's it it's very fun it's a yep. very very funny critique and i guess it's almost like knowing this the developers and knowing what they do sort of makes makes it feel like an actually uh meaningful commentary <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh yep. all right so our next game is another browser it's just a down it's a download i don't know if the game has a full title but it's um it's symphonia uh symphonia slash game.com by team sphere it's a to my understanding it is a student project it's basically a one level platformer that sort of feels like the best stuff you might find in a mario maker and uh when what i say what i mean by that is that it it has theming down really well you are a um you're a conductor who is a bird who's sort of like the, the whole stage is an orchestra and you're kind of being, you're kind of popping and skipping through it and uh, and then you kind of play it in reverse order and the music comes to life. And it, it sort of has that that balance between like a Rayman Legends and a Mario Bros level. It's very, very slight. It's very fast. But what it sort of was, it, what was striking to me about it was just the fact that you look at this thing that students put together and thought, wow, imagine if the AAA game space took this much time when they made one level and just made the theming work and made right. the stages feel proper and, ha- you know, and sort of had everything. I know it's a musical game, but like, so forgive the pun, but like have everything sort of working in concert to to create something that mattered. Um, anyway, I, I liked it enough to to want to just mention it. All right, our next game uh, is If Found. Would you like to tell me about If Found? Um, yep. So If Found was published by Annapurna. I think it's the reason why me and you were very interested in it. So it's um, it's one of those. Uh, autobiographical game, I feel, uh, where the mechanic, mostly you're going to go through a story by erasing stuff. So the, the mechanic is that you use your mouse to erase stuff on the screen and it plays a little like an interactive comic book where you erase part of the story to get to a new part of the story. And uh, it's basically the story um, of a um, teenager coming out to her parents and then being cast off by her family and then uh, finding a new community in her area where she lives. I quite like the story and I found it... um, So it's the kind of story you've seen a ton in in the game, but it didn't feel as... um, It feels grounded in the reality. I don't remember where it takes place. Scotland. Uh, Is that... It's Scotland, yeah. Oh, maybe maybe Ireland, actually, now that I'm I'm confused. Yeah, I'm sorry for that if I'm misremembering that, but... It sets the place enough by using a Scotland-specific language and uh, like stuff that happened only in those areas that it doesn't feel like a generic story like the visual novel I was talking about, A New Life, uh, is. It does feel grounded and personal enough that even if it's a story you've seen a lot in 
small coming out game that uh, exists a lot on itch.io, it feels personal enough to uh, get its point get its point across real well. So I, I quite liked it as a you know as a way to interact with uh, the personal life of the developer. I just think it it doesn't have much more than the story. So mechanically, it's interesting that you're erasing stuff instead of just clicking through text, but it really is the only mechanic that the game has and it never evolves and it feels very much like um, the developer found that one single metaphor and made the whole game around it, but never managed to um, expand it in any other way than this one mechanic. And yeah, and I don't, I wish I could, I wish I had written it down because I don't remember what the instance were, what the instances were, but I do remember there being a couple times where I was using the eraser mechanic and I kind of felt like the metaphors got mixed in a way that was like, wait, yep. this feels incorrect with what the erasing has meant up right. to this point in the story. So anyway, I guess the my thought on that is just be very careful with your mechanics as metaphors, but uh, yeah, I, I, yeah I des- in, at the end of the game, you design yourself and I thought that was totally lovely. Like I loved that part of it. Um, okay, you know what? I it is, it is Ireland, by the way. Okay, I'm glad. I'm sorry. Um, I liked some of the stuff in the diary that refers to the like the language changes like you meant like there are a couple of asterisks around yeah. around specific terminology and stuff um, but, but I feel it's important because like a lot of those uh, game about coming out or about being trans or those kind of issues I feel a lot of those that I play on HLIO tends to be too generic and by being generic lose their personality whereas this is a game I feel uh, probably most uh, queer folk will identify with that game a lot, but still feel grounded in the reality of the creator. And I think it makes, at the end of the day, it's way more, it's easier to be empathetic towards a character that feels like a real person than those generic story like a new life uh, I talked about earlier. Is. Yeah. I, I also don't have any more to say to it. Actually, you know what? One very last thing that game has a um, a chapter select. And I love that Annapurna games do try to take special effort to put a chapter select if it's possible. Right. Uh, just makes them all feel like page turners, which I enjoy. Our next game is uh, Immortal Phoenix Rising. So one of the blandest title you can find around. Uh, it's the Ubisoft game uh, made by uh, Ubisoft Quebec, mostly, I think. Um, it's the Ubisoft game that they... Um, talked about like it was their answer to Breath of the Wild. And um, wait, we didn't talk about Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Oh, it's not on the list. You're right. We're in alphabetical order. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to talk with both and with they're both the exact same game. They're basically the same game, but Assassin's Creed Valhalla take a step towards Red Dead Redemption and Immortal Phoenix Rising takes a step toward Breath of the Wild. But like, it's just a very, very small sidestep. So it doesn't change that much on the um, on the Ubisoft formula. It's still a big map with like ton of objective, and you're just doing a ton of bullshit in those big map. The difference in Immortal is that they don't. There's no tower, and they don't put the markers on the map automatically. They put the marker on the map where you're gonna play a different mini game, where you're gonna spot a marker and like head it on the map yourself so it feels a little more involved and most of the marker are not a straight side quest they're more an activity that doesn't um that doesn't like you 
you don't have a cutscene, then a quest, then another cutscene, and then the quest is finished. So you're still playing something inside the open world. Whereas Assassin's Creed Valhalla is way more side quests. Like you're gonna go to the marker, it's gonna be somebody's gonna talk to you, then you're gonna do the quest, then you're gonna have another like small dialogue scene, and then it's gonna end. So it feels way more like it's a linear thing into an open world. And both those games looks really great, so they're fun. It's fun to go around the world and look around the world, but like they feel so much like generic take on Breath of the Wild and Red Dead Redemption. So much so that I can recognize in Assassin's Creed Valhalla, like there's Assassin's Creed Valhalla has exactly some of the exact same beats as Red Dead Redemption, but because like they ship one of those games every two years, they don't have the time to finish it the way Rockstar will do it. So like there's a bit in Assassin's Creed Valhalla where you get drunk with your buddies and like dumb stuff happen while you're drunk, but because like they don't have the money and the time that Rockstar does, everything feels way more static and it's more like characters standing around and the voice actor is acting like they're drunk, but the character doesn't act <laughs> any different all the time. And all that stuff, and um, they're Skinner books. At the end of the day, it's like you want more Red Dead Redemption, but you don't care if the quality is way down. You buy Vala, and it's totally fine as a game. It just has nothing remarkable around it. Uh, and same thing about Immortal. Like, I kind of enjoy, I, I quite like Immortal, and just that I can exist in a pretty world, and there's not that many cutscene to stop me from enjoying that pretty world and I just do random stuff in that pretty world but it feels very generic still and like it never feels like uh, they put the care that the Breath of the Wild team put into creating this world and just feel that I'm going around exploring and just finding random stuff and then doing random puzzles that don't have that much impact into the world itself. Is it, um, is it as fast as Breath of the Wild? Yeah. Like, just, like, running around? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because Assassin's Creed is very slow. You're very kind of, like... Yeah, Assassin's Creed is very slow. And, like, Assassin's Creed, I don't know. I played 20 hours. It's probably a 100 hours game. But, like, it feels a lot like Red Dead Redemption felt like they were going through the same motion again with the story and that, like, oh, no, I have a plan. The plan's going to fail and something's going to happen. Assassin's Creed that has the exact same structure where um, you're just trying to make allies in this new world. And it's just like, it feels very episodic in that you get in a new city and you're gonna find a new allies and then you're gonna be with those people for 15 hours and then it's gonna switch to another bunch of people. Um, yeah. It's funny how I'll put up with it in Red Dead and I'll kind of enjoy it in Red Dead, but then I hear that these things are 100 hours and I'm like, oh, I can't. It's like that extra bit of yeah, but, money makes like, a big difference with this type of game. Yeah, but that's it. They don't have the care that Red Dead put. And, like, there's a ton of reason that Red Dead can, has, can have, like, that much time to make a game. And there's good reason and bad reason, though I'm pretty sure there was crunching on Assassin's Creed 2, so that's not the issue. But, like, Ubisoft publishing one of those games every two years makes it that they cannot take the time. Like, the world is beautiful, but it doesn't feel as alive as it does in Red Dead Redemption, and it doesn't feel as designed as Red Dead does. And, and like I say, like, there's a lot of writing, and there's a 
like the story feels immense, but it's people just standing around looking at each other and then talking because they don't have the time to mocap every scene they do. I I thought the, so. I played the first, let's say, twenty five minutes of Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Uh, I really liked that first cutscene of you sort of going through the bar or going through the drunken party. Yeah. And uh, and then all hell breaks loose outside. And then I got to the first mission or where you like I got to the main town after you rode the boat and I said I don't want to do this this map is too big there are too many things to talk to but like, I'm not interested you were just in you. the first part of the map I know I know and then you get in the second part of the map which is immense like I haven't seen a half of it yet by playing 20 hours and then you get knocked out in a dream and it does the twist of Red Dead where there's another third map like a third piece of map where other stuff gonna happen and it's a small map but like it's still more content as they do in red dead with the um, i don't remember where it is but the twist uh in chapter fifth or something yeah where you get stranded on an island anyway I, it's it's too much i might finish it as an episodic thing because I quite enjoy my time with it, but like it's three star at best. Like it's just, it's all you can eat buffet of those games. Same thing with Immortals. I think I like Immortals a little more because I don't have cutscenes all the time stopping me, but like it's basically the same game at the end of the day with just a little different coat of paint. If you if you just listen to podcasts while you're playing these games, you don't even need to worry about the cutscenes because you just kind of tune out and go back to your podcast during the cutscene. Yeah, I can't do that. Like I can I can do it with Immortals because there's not that many cutscenes in Immortals, but I cannot do that with Assassin's Creed. I need they give me content and I need to see the game for what it is. And if the game thinks this is meaningful, the dialogues yeah. are important, I need to see them, even if they're at the end of the day they're not. And you're right, I should just skip them. This is why it's a good thing that uh, I'm not reviewing games anymore because if I review every game like this, I'd feel the same way. I'd be like, yeah, I have to watch all the cutscenes. And six hours in, I'd be like, this game is terrible. It's a zero star game. It's the worst game I've ever played. Do you know what they made me watch? Do you know what they did? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, they're so. I feel the only thing I can say about those games is that they look good enough that it's okay to pass time in them. Yeah. 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 I understand. Uh, all right, our next game is In Other Waters. Did you play any of this? No. Nope. All right, uh, so In In Other Waters is a very beautiful game. Uh, in it, you are playing an AI working with a human partner who is exploring, a, you know, the first alien planet that has life that anyone's ever... Um, anyone has ever encountered and it all takes place underwater so it's it's you navigating this submarine through this ocean space and noticing all of the plant life and aquatic life in the in the waters uh now what's interesting about it is that the entire game is ui you are you never see any of this rendered in 3d even the plants they just appear as little dots on the map and then you have to read a bunch of text where it describes to you what the plants are so it really is it's really expecting you to engage with it in this imaginative way and sort of like you need to bring your creativity and imagination to it in order to kind of visualize what's going on around you so i loved like everything about it up to this point like i loved i love the interface i love the look i love the the gameplay loop uh, I think that ultimately sort of the literal writing around the dialogue is a little bit weak, like kind of the thrust of the story I, I found underwhelming, like the relationship between the, the human and you, the AI, did nothing for me. And um, and then combined with that, the actual navigation is a little bit tedious. I don't mind it being slow, but there's a lot of very small micro movements. Okay, you're at this dot, now you're going to move. 
one inch over to this dot and then one inch over to this dot, which is a shame because even all of the aesthetic and presentation I was really into. Right. And uh, I, I, yeah, I actually restarted it a couple times. I was like, no, I think I really like it. Like there's enough in here that I really liked, but I, I just bounced off it. Uh, that's that. Did you play any Jackbox 7? No, and I'm very disappointed about it because I looked at the game and they seemed pretty good, but I never had a group to play Jackbox 7 with. Uh, so I did, I played one night of Jackbox 7 with my family. Uh, there's one game in particular that I love in Jackbox 7. It is the most, um, complex and sophisticated game that they've ever done. It's, there's just so much going on in it. And actually the biggest problem with it is that it takes too long to do. It's a game called Talking Points. And it's basically a combination of the Jackbox 5 game where you're doing a pitch. Um, I can't remember what that one was called, but where you're... It's basically... It is a, it's talking points... That, Potentially stupid. Yes. So it's basically a public speaking game. And it starts off with everybody entering quiplash terms. Like it gives you a prompt and then everybody puts in a quiplash. And then those become the talking points that you have to make your presentation on. And what's really interesting about it is that not only you're doing the presentation in pairs and one person is the speaker and the other person is doing the PowerPoint slides. So they are feeding you images, which you then need to sort of discuss as you're presenting. Um, and then beyond that, everyone else in the audience is then upvoting and downvoting as they enjoy or dislike your, your presentation. So you might have a presentation where you're talking about food and then you get into... You, you know, all of a sudden the image that appears on the screen is this like disgusting looking, you know, sludge. And then you have to try and like get your way out because everybody's downloading and saying, this is gross, this is gross, this is gross. And then you, you know, and then you go on, you go on and on from there. And it's, it works really well, uh, you know, especially if you have a crowd that's going to get into it and really, you know, sell the hell out of whatever they're talking about. Um, it's great. It's, it's a great, it's a great game, a great addition. Um, the, a lot of the other ones in there, I was a little bit less into but that's that's okay you know usually the jackbox games with the exception of three there's only two or three that work well anyway yeah uh next up kentucky route zero by cardboard computers and uh obviously we're going to save this but i'm still now hear me out i'm still not opposed to all 10 episodes of kentucky route zero <laughs> occupying all 10 spaces <laughs> Sparked off 10. I'm, ju I'm just saying I'm willing to humor it if you want to split it up by 10. It will completely <laughs> annihilate this entire this entire thing that we do, but I'm open to it. Um, we're going to talk more about it, but yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. So, good, man. Um, so <laughs> our next game is Little Hope. Uh, it's also from the Dark Picture collection, I think. Dark Picture Chronicles. Oh, Dark Picture, Clank Call. The last one was uh, Man of Medan. And uh, the new one is a little, oh, so they're like uh, a little interactive horror movie. Uh, we played this co-op together and I feel like we had a lot of fun with it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed playing it. I don't know how like meaningfully good it was as a as like a an experience to recommend to others, but you and I had a great time with it. And I would think that other people playing it in the same way would enjoy it similarly. I, I feel the, the biggest issue we had with Man of Medan the first time we played is that we would see the seam of where it was stitching stuff together way too much. And the game would always get lost in loading screen, like three loading screen in a row and stuff like that. And this one was much better at this. Uh, I don't know that said, maybe it's much better because we played it on the new console and it was loading quicker. Maybe on the old console, mm. it has the same problem or they just got the technology to be better, which maybe is the case. Uh, and I really liked it. And I know I've seen a lot of people complain 
about the story online because the twist at the end is super dumb. It's very but, dumb. <laughs> but if you embrace the stupidity of that game, I think yes. the twist is perfect. Yes. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I'm very happy that we managed to everyone uh, because we were playing like a bunch of assholes for a long time. And we were playing like idiot with the express attention to kill people, but most of our characters survived till the very end. And we were kind of disappointed that what they died, but then at the end, everybody got chopped off in the last yep. 10 minutes. And I was very happy about that. Yep. Yeah, I don't, I don't have anything else to say either. I mean, it's a bunch of college students trapped in a foggy witch town and it f- flashes forward and backward in time. Uh, I think it might literally be a goosebump story. <laughs> um, I need to spoil that bit because it's one of my favorite moments of the year. But there's a moment where there's a monster coming off to uh, an old lady and one player is playing the old lady and one other player is playing a character that is uh, up the hill and trying to help the old lady. And because we're playing like dumbass, I try to help the old lady and you just answer, no, fuck you, I don't need your help. (laughs) And that was the funniest shit. Um, yeah, it's fun. We had a lot of fun with this. <laughs> yeah. All right, coming into Microsoft Flight Simulator by Aspo Studio. Asobo Studio. Uh, this one we're going to talk about for that time. <sighs> okay, yeah. I'm sir, I'm very disappointed that my computer could not run Flight Simulator. Yeah. Uh, after that, we have Minecraft Dungeons by Moyang Studios. Uh, I don't know how much there is to say about this. It is. It's good. It's a good game. Uh, it's all right. It's a Diablo type game in the Minecraft universe. The abilities are kind of fun. Some sometimes you get a cool weapon. It's good. Yeah, I'd be surprised because it felt very slight when I played it. I'd be very surprised because uh, to play it right now because I feel they kind of did it with stuff to make it a little more complex. I had an okay time with it. Uh, it's a Game Pass game in that, like, it's like those Netflix movies that are on the script and you're gonna forget about in a month. Like it's it's fine, it's fun, it's well made, but there's nothing memorable about it. Yeah. I, I think more of my surprise was that I didn't like that I finished it. My brother and I played it. I yep. enjoyed my time. I don't need to play more, but yeah. Uh after that we have Monster Train by Shiny Shoe. Yep. So Monster Train is um Slay the Spire like in that uh, it's one of those uh, deck builder game where you're gonna do a roguelike run and build a deck as you go. Uh, the big difference between this and uh, Slay the Spire is that this work as a tower defense game. So you're, the, the card game itself, you're putting monster on three different lanes, and if the enemies manage to beat your monster on the tree lane, they're gonna attack your health at the end, which is kind of the tower you're trying to defend. Um, it's good. It's well made. Uh, I really liked it, but it comes with the caveat of a lot of those games, which is Slay the Spire is still better. Yeah, and I, I actually, like, I, I really enjoy Monster Train, and I have been continuing to play it because it got on Game Pass, and I've, I've played a bunch, and there is still a part of my brain going, like, even though you've done absolutely everything in Slay the Spire, maybe you should just be playing Slay the Spire. Uh, right. And I, I, I really hate the art, too. I And that's, you know, it's not that the art is inherently bad, it's just... Yeah, I really like the oh, art. 
one of the things that is different than Slay the Spire is that the, the numbers get silly big in this game. Like you can, uh, you, like the last boss of the game has 3000 health and you can do like spell that do 250 damage. But I, I, I feel the power curve is kind of weird and sometimes you end up with a deck that has four or five cards that do billion damage and then four or five cards that do three damage and you just like discard all the time because you never use them. Uh, maybe I'm bad with the strategy in it, but... Um, yeah, I also wonder yeah. if it's a question of having not played enough of it, because I did feel like every time I won, I won by a landslide. Yep. And every time I lost, I was just kind of like, yeah, but what, what was I... How could I have fixed this? Like, I feel like I didn't get yep. the opportunity to build the deck, but anyway. Uh, Mortal Shell. Uh, Raph didn't play it. I remember you telling me you were turned off by the trailer, whereas <laughs> I was very excited when I saw the trailer because the trailer, so it's sold as a Dark Souls copy or whatever. It's a small game similar to a Dark Souls that is 15 hours on, instead of 40. And the trailer is like a bunch of shitty metal music. Uh, where it's telling you like it's going to be hardcore and you're going to fight people like, with big strumming guitars and what the fuck and everything and I I was kind of excited to play a Dark Souls that is even more metal than Dark Souls already is but it doesn't it doesn't really have that in the game it really is just a Dark Souls game it has a little bit of weirdness that is fun like in the From Software game like one of the first items you get is a banjo and the more you play it the better you get playing the banjo oh, that's cool. so that's very neat there's a big frog you can feed things to that is and the frog is gonna become a friend the more you feed them or something or the more you feed them um that being said i really like the game until i beat the first bus so i beat i think i don't remember if it's three or four bus like it's it's a very zelda like structure where you need to go to four dungeon and kill four bus the problem I had is when you kill one of the first boss, you need to... Well, when you kill a boss, you need to um, backtrack back to the middle. Oh, weird. And they just added a bunch of enemies. And it's not fun. Like, the level design is not really fun. And I feel uh, they just tried to um, make the game longer than it needed to be by just putting a lot of enemies in spot. And having you fight through those at me, and like I managed to kill all four bus, but like I was angry at the game every time I needed to go somewhere. I already did way more than I would in any Souls game because they're just a bunch right. of enemies, of other enemies every time you need to go somewhere. And uh, I ended up being pissed off at the game, and also like I like uh, all the four bus fights were kind of good, but they're not as good as any in the Souls game, so. It's hard to um, it's hard for me to say you should play this instead of a Souls game because it doesn't have its own identity and there's way more filler content than any Souls game. I feel at least if they leaned in the, the metal mentality a lot more, it would have at least some kind of identity. But it doesn't. Frankly, the only thing I remember really liking about this game is the banjo thing, uh, which is like the little thing where it feels like it has its own kind of weirdness that uh, gives it a little edge. That's too bad. That banjo thing does sound great, though. <laughs> yep. Uh, I really like the banjo thing. Uh, tell me, is my exercise a game that we should be saving? Uh, 
I don't know. Is why. my exercise one of the best games of the year? Oh, yeah, it is. That's it is. <laughs> I like Before. I like the idea of my exercise making it into our best games of the year list. It was definitely on my short list. Yep. Me too. <laughs> Um, the next game we have is Neon Abyss. I don't have much to say about this one. It's um, another roguelike side-scroller. It's like Binding of Isaac, but as a side-scroller instead of a top-down Zelda game. It's okay. Uh, I really hated the humor in it so much so that I pick a screenshot of some joke I hated. <laughs> uh, one is one of the upgrades you can get is um, it's called Grabber. And it's because you're gonna have a little Trump character family are following you and grabbing the money, but then it's making joke about the grabbing oh. whatever that Trump said and fuck that shit. I don't. Are you, yeah. Are you kidding me? I don't want those kind of joke in a game that doesn't have anything to say about politics. Like whatever. Like just don't. Yeah. Weird. If you're to make a little dumb side scroller, just make a little dumb side scroller. You don't have to bring that kind of stuff. And I, I fucking hate. Trump, like, I'm not saying you shouldn't do joke about Trump, but, like, don't remind me of that in a game that doesn't have anything to say. And neither, like, don't... Like, it's a rape joke at the end of the day, and I don't want that kind of rape joke in those games. Yeah. I thought that shit. So, fuck this. Uh, I finished it once. I finished the, the roguelike thing once, and supposedly the game... Like, I introduced new boss after the first time you finished it, but I was, like, fuck that game when I uninstalled it. Huh. I, I'm really turned off by that. I, I'm, I'm almost shocked to hear you say that. This is not what I... Even when you, when you first said Trump, I was like, yeah. wait, did I mishear him? Did he mean something uh, else? I still have the screenshot somewhere on my computer because I was pissed off at that. And, like, I, I didn't do it, but I was borderline wanting to send a tweet to the studio, like, what the fuck are you doing? But I don't want to be that person. Mm, yeah. Uh, okay, tell me about Neo 2. Uh, yeah, Neo 2 is... <laughs> Really, it's more Neo, which is more Dark Souls with a more involved combat system, but with a less interesting level design. Uh, I played two thirds of it, so there's nine boss. I killed six, and I really like it because I really like the Souls game. But I feel if you really want to enjoy Neo the way it's meant to be played, you really need to get involved into the combat system in a way that. I don't, because the combat system has way more self-expression than the Souls game has. There's a bunch of combos and special attack and whatever, and you can become really strong, but I was playing it like a Souls game because I'm used to play Souls game with a sword and shield. I was playing it as this tank character and just like poking at the enemies and whatever. And it worked for me, but obviously I could do better, but because it worked for me, I never wanted to do better. Uh, I feel it's a Souls game for people that like Ninja Gaiden, and I think they're well made game, but the level design is not as interesting in the Souls game. Yeah. I think it's good, uh, but it's not especially for me. Uh, I think that we should save No One Lives Under the Lighthouse for further discussion. Right. Did you end up playing Ori? And the Will of the Whips, Wisps. Uh, so I played a, a little more than half of it. I want to say um, I didn't love it, uh, and and you know I know that this game is pretty beloved, and I you know I loved the first game. I didn't. There's a lot more combat in it, and frankly, it reminded me a lot of Hollow Knight in a way that I was like, you know, when I'm playing this type of Metroidvania, I don't want to be 
I don't want to be forced to do fights. Like I sort of want to engage yeah. on the with the fights if I want to, like a, like an old Castlevania, but not feel as if it's uh, a necessary part of the flow. And this game has a lot more fighting. It's it's less of a platformer, and that for me was sort of disappointing. Yeah, uh, I agree with you. You know, I love Hollow Knight, and I feel the combat in Hollow Knight become this dance. Uh, like when I get to a boss in Hollow Knight, it's like, okay, let's dance and whatever. And you, you get to a point where the boss will never hit you once in Hollow Knight, Knight. And I find that very satisfying. I find the combat in Ori and the Will of the, Lip, of the Wisps uh, to be kind of bad. It's super floaty, like the platforming in Ori is, but the platforming feels good, whereas the combat doesn't. And I feel uh, the first game had the right idea by just having no real combat, you were just mashing a button until all the enemies were dead. Uh, I feel even the first game would have been better without any enemies. And I think the same thing about this one too. Uh, the only other thing I'm going to say about it is that uh, the story is real bad. Uh, it has a really bad twist at the end uh, where one of the dark entities is supposed to be nice and whatever. Like the, the, the It's one of the all is inside of themselves the owl is nice because they just want to say they're friendly and whatever and like the story goes in a direction where well they're nice and they have emotion and anything but we can let them survive because they need the darkness and we cannot survive in the darkness so we end up killing them still and it's like what wow what? <laughs> um i I don't know if I missed a beat or something in the story, but like it felt very strange when I got there. And um, I I want to give the benefit of the doubt to the dev. It just felt like they were trying to do a Miyazaki and just failing, like failing 100%. Like there's no heal intent there. But... Right. But did you think this through and how this, how this looks? Like, like if we take a step back. Are a better writer. That's yeah. weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I don't like the game that much. Uh, I feel the combat just slowed the game for no good reason. Um, and I don't... Again, you don't like Hollow Knight, but I feel that in Ori, the world doesn't have interesting secrets. You're just getting more health and more magic stuff. Whereas in Hollow Knight, you're going to find secrets. Yeah, and I still think like it plays very well. Yeah, I, you know, the, there's even a part of me that's like, oh, maybe, I, maybe I could go back well. to it. Maybe, maybe there's, maybe I, yeah. But anyway, I uh, I have a question for you: Is Paper Mario the Origami King something that we need to be saving? No. Okay. But I really like the writing in this game, and I'm very disappointed that they didn't do a better game with it. Um, so much so that I feel this game would be great if it didn't have the combat system at all. If it didn't have any combat outside of just being in the world map and hitting thing with your hammer. Uh, I feel this game should have been like the Nintendo Lego game, where you just go around and collect stuff and do things. Because the writing in this game is very good, and it's very funny, and it uses Mario tropes in very funny ways for its stories. But then it has this GRPG combat, like all the Paper Mario game does, do without XP and like all the JRPG trapping is just like kind of a puzzle turn-based combat system that is that gets hold after five fight, but there's as many combat in this game as there is in any other JRPG in the world. 
Yeah, I think that this without the combat would be a game of the year. Absolutely. Um, it's the, and I, I know we both talked about this already, but just the crossing that bridge at the very beginning of the game and each block on the bridge goes do re mi fa yeah. so la si do was so happy and it just made it put me in such a good mood it was okay this world is designed and excellent uh yeah i i, I think it's such a shame i even love it does something that um dragon quest 11 did that i really liked which is this hyper cartoony world but then occasionally you'll encounter photorealism yep. and just it, it just works really well. And the game is game. filled, filled. I know you haven't finished it, but I went through the whole game because I really like the, the, the writing and the, the the joke. And the game is filled with like just small one-off joke, like the, the bridge you said, or stuff like that. And I, it's always a delight to find what they do with the world. Yeah, like even the like you go to that kitchen at some point and the kitchen's loaded with cockroaches, but the cockroaches are just Goombas and they're sliding around. Right. You have to knock all them out of their hidden places and stuff. And that, that was really fun. Imagine if every combat challenge was something like that, where you had to play with the world more. Yep. And Anyway. Uh, Okie doke. What is next? What is next? Paradise Killers is definitely... Yes. Paradise Killers is definitely one of the... Uh, best games of the year is Post Void, also one of the best games of the year. Absolutely. <laughs> I thought you might say that. And you know what? Moving right along, I'm also going to say that Rainy Season is one of the best games of the year. Okay. Uh, all right. Our next game is the Resident Evil, we'll say Resident Evil 3 2020. This is a remake of the third Resident Evil game from the PlayStation 1. Um, completely, you know, it's a complete reimagining uh, of this game, whereas the original Resident Evil is a mist like adventure game. This is a uh, pretty non-stop action shooter with some light exploration elements. Uh, I I really like Resident Evil 3, and I'm, I've been, the, the remake, I've been surprised um, with some of the discourse around it and just sort of it being dismissed altogether. Resident Evil 3 uh, is not as good as, as the Resident Evil 2 remake from, from last year, but it's... Uh, it is a much more experimental game. Like, it does a lot more one-off Okay. Uh, has a lot more one-off vignettes and i really appreciated that like even at the very start of the game opens up and it's first person for you know 10 minutes and you're just kind of playing in first person so it's using that resident evil 7 feeling and you're just kind of walking around your apartment building kind of dealing with the ptsd of the first game and it's it's very quick but i just thought okay this is interesting they're playing with the camera in different ways um and then it explodes into an action chase scene and you're running away from the monster and then you know the game progresses as usual there are other moments where uh, the game plays with classic isometric um, single frame perspectives, so it'll actually do the do the thing where you're right. being frightened by not being able to see around corners. Uh, and in fact, that scene—I don't know if you've seen it. Have you seen Ant Bugs? Did you play any of this at all, or watch any of this? Uh, I've seen Ant Bugs online. Okay, so the Ant Bugs that like grapple onto you and stick their giant tongue to down you to kill you—it's <laughs> very disgusting and unsettling. Um, and there, anyway, there's just a lot. There's a lot of cool stuff in here. I think there are problems with it, and there are things I would pick apart. You know, I, I do think they misuse the nemesis altogether, and I kind of think the nemesis is a little funny looking. Like he's got kind of a Muppet vibe to him. That when I played the original back as a I don't know eight year old or something, uh, I definitely didn't. Uh, I definitely imagined him much more terrifying. But, but um, I, I, I would say to that that Mister X is also funny. It's true. Mr. X is also... Mr. X might even be funnier because yeah. he's wearing a little hat. But like, yeah, that's it. And you can shoot off the app. But still, like, I cannot deal with those characters. I cannot deal with an impossible character that's talking. It's not as much of a problem in Resident Evil 3 because it's all set pieces. 
and I know uh, in Re- it's much more of an action game. Yeah, than that, while yeah. in Resident Evil, I know when the character's gun is not there anymore, whereas Mister X still stalks you in the area um, while you're doing puzzles and everything. And then, even if Mister X is funny, he's like he stresses me out the way knowing your boss is watching you work would stress <laughs> me, whereas like Nemesis just um Yeah, and you know what I'll say uh, to both of these games, I still think they get an incredible amount of mileage out of being ridiculously short for a triple a game and i think that they get in they get out and it's you you are never angry or bored at these games you know that i finished resident evil 3 in basically a sitting like i think i played one hour before going to bed and then the next day woke up and you know played like three hours and it was done it was it was great like that right um I know the discourse around it is not that positive, but I'm very excited to see what they do with 8. Yeah. Um, I think it looks great. Tell me about Risk of Rain 2. So, Risk of Rain 2 is... um, Yeah, it's Risk of Rain again, but in 3D instead of 2D. So Risk of Rain is this kind of roguelike thing where the game gets harder. Um, You're playing on a timer, but like you're not losing if you get at the end of the timer. It's just getting harder and harder and bigger enemies spawn. So you have to kind of play uh, this idea is that like you have to go through five or six areas to finish the game and you need to know how much time you need to spend in one single area to upgrade enough to be ready for the next one, but you need to not spend too much time because the game is going to get too hard before you get to the next one. It's meant to be played mostly with a bunch of friends and uh, just strategizing who needs which upgrade and whatever. It's I know people like it a lot. Uh, I'm not. I'm not the biggest fan of it. Like I, I, I like the 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 how your characters getting stronger by having like stupid upgrade latch on. Like you're gonna st- you're gonna start and be this little dude with a pea shooter, but at the end of a game you end up with like three rocket launcher, five drones that follow you and shoot laser everywhere, and like a a flamethrower that just pops out of on top of your head, and that stuff is all funny. Um, I mean, I like it, but it's not. It doesn't stay with me that much. It's not a game I'm uh, inclined to replay that much of. I'm excited to see it come to Game Pass because I think I'd like to at least test it. Yeah. Uh, our next game is Rivals. Um, I'm not sure how to pronounce this man's name. Uh, <laughs> Rivals by Tim Sheenman. I'm gonna say uh, this is a pretty cool little game. It's it's you know a little bit less than an hour. I want to say it is a text base puzzle game i actually don't know what you would call this genre it uh it plays a lot like a, a combination of her story and um return of the Overdin. if you're looking for like a, a comparison so basically it is a the it's trying to occupy the space of like a behind the music or an almost famous and you are chronicling a 1970s band up to 2010 and you are flipping through interviews that the band has had to try and put together a novel that you are in the middle of writing so you're basically filling in the blanks using pieces of information that you've dug out of interviews and tape recordings and um, images and so you know it starts out and they're like a high school band and you're looking at you know posters that they've handed out to people and it's for this band pony parade and and then you know they one of them has like drug problems and they have a falling out and some of them get married and you're interviewing different spouses at different times and you know it's like it is it is less than an hour and it's very slight but it's fun and it's um i guess i just really like that mechanic yeah. of sort of like combining reasoning like reading with reasoning with puzzling and learning a story in an asynchronous way like that and it's it's, it's a very it's a very good mechanic yeah 
I want to say that this next game, Roki, is yep. one of the best games of the year. It is. Uh, I have not played Shapes.io. Shapes.io. So I put that one on the list just to acknowledge that um, we probably missed Factorio this year. So Factorio won 1.0 this year, and it I feel it's a game that we should have played more. Uh, that would probably be a top 10 thing. Shapes.io is like... Um, minimalist reinterpretation of Factorio in that it doesn't have the, the real-time strategy trapping of Factorio. It's just like you're, pre- you're playing an abstract game of trying to create a factory. And the way it works is that, let's say you're gonna create um, something that generates a bunch of circles. And then the game wants you to get half circle so you're gonna put on a map something that generates circle and you're gonna put on the map something that cut them in half and then you're gonna put something that rotates them to put them in the right side that the game wants you but and you need to feel order that way but you don't have like resource to uh, worry about and you don't have uh, like the map is just an infinite map that you can do as much as you want uh, as much like small logic gate that you want in it and it evolves from there like at the beginning you need to create circle but then you're gonna have stuff that color them in a color and they're gonna ask you to give them blue circle and blue quarter circle and then a red half circle and stuff like that and you're just gonna put like more and more logic gates to create like this crazy madness yeah this sounds excellent of abstract shapes and it's it's really fucking great. And um, yeah, there's that game, Factorio, uh, Shapes.io, and uh, what's the 3D one? Uh, Sets Factory that exists. And they're all basically the same ID. Factor, uh, Shapes.io is the abstract version of those where you don't need to wait to have resource to create stuff. It's just like you have infinite resource and you just do whatever you want on the map. So there's no goal, but it's very fun to lose yourself in the madness in it and uh, what's fun about it uh, my favorite stuff about those games is that it starts very simple and then it evolves from there and like it all makes sense in the moment but when you look at it at the end of the at the end of two hours you play it it just looks like madness and it's <laughs> just interesting to like I, I really like the idea of um getting to the point where something doesn't make any sense anymore like it's it's so complex that you have no idea how you got there, but when you were in the moment, it just made sense. And I really like that uh, as an abstract thought. I really like that game. It's not something I'm gonna keep for later, obviously. I, I think probably the best one of those is probably Factorio, but we haven't played it, so. Yeah, it still sounds great. Uh, all right, Scourgebringer. I don't know what this is. Scourgebringer uh is another roguelike type game it's a 2d uh, platformer type game except uh, the difference is that you don't have infinite jump but as long as you hit an enemy in the air you can jump again so you're basically always never on the ground just jumping from enemies uh trying to fight them and because your dodge as infinity uh invisibility frame you can dodge through every attack that enemies does so it looks it makes for these very impressive combat where you're just like zipping around and killing everything. I like it just fine. Uh, but like it feels like another one of those and except the fact that it looks 
cool and action. It doesn't feel that much different than playing another 2D um, platformer role pack. I feel the audience that real like hard uh, quick thinking game will probably like it a bunch, but uh, it didn't stay with me. Next up is Signs of Sojourne. Uh, let's talk about this now. Okay. I think that this is not a, not a top yeah. 10 game, which I know you thought I might pull in. Yeah, here. I wasn't sure. I didn't finish it because I didn't enjoy it enough, but I felt there's enough meat there. There's, there's enough story there and interesting ideas that it's worth talking about. But Yeah, I think that... Uh, so Signs of Sojourne is a game about communication and it, uh, I think it's really cool because it's a game that you can see how you could play it on pen and paper and have it work pretty well. So it's a game that more or less is using dominoes as um, dominoes with different shapes on each side as a stand-in for the you know the broad strokes of personalities and conversations. So you are more or less you are matching domino shapes to each other to see whether or not your conversation is whether or not you and the other person you are talking to are understanding each other or not. Uh, so the premise of the game is that there is uh, your hometown it relies heavily on this this like trade caravan that comes in and um, you are you are concerned that they might cut you out of the route and then you know you what would happen to your town at that point so you end up joining the caravan to go and explore the wide world and have conversations with people of all different types and types and ideas and um, and along the way you are playing a deck building game where you're putting together your deck of cards which you can or dominoes which you can use to have conversations with different people so the interesting thing about it is the fact that you know in a given run of this game you are not going to be able to understand everyone and there are gonna be people who you know you just get into arguments with and have uh, have a falling out with and this includes people in your hometown so if you if you leave town and you pick up too many new dominoes and you go back to your home base and try and talk to your best friend it's possible that you and your friend won't be able to understand each other anymore and he'll be like, well, why are you abandoning us? And you'll be trying to explain, and you'll be basically saying to them, like, my triangle doesn't match with your circle. And um, I, I actually did write down here the uh, the different types, and I think it will help explain sort of the mechanic of this game. So triangles are logical and diplomatic. Swirls are distressed and grieving. Circles are empath- empathetic and observant. Diamonds are creative and industrious. Skills uh, elaborate. They create new shapes to play off on the far right. And you can also clarify, which is to insert a card between two similar shapes. I think it's super cool. I wish the story were better. If the story were, if the story had been engaging, this would have been one of the best games of the year, I think, because the mechanic I think is very strong. So I really like the idea of um, it. Feel most video game ended up with dialogue choice as an option, as a mechanic to make dialogues, and I'm very interested in game that decide that it's going to be something different and they're going to try different something different uh, i felt in concept uh, while playing it i felt it ended up being too binary in that it was we either understand each other or we don't and it doesn't work out so it ended up being yes or no uh, still I, I find how they manage the deck building stuff really interesting for what it represents i just didn't I like it more as a metaphor. I like it more as a metaphor and as a concept that I like to uh, play through it. I understand that, yeah. I think this year, this game and also Bug Snacks um, kind of dig into this idea that, hey, people aren't 
naturally good together yep <laughs> the way that the way that maybe in society we expect them to be and like people are just not always right. going to get along and that's a pretty natural yep. thing so i i like that the next game here south of the circle is one of the best games of the year i would like to save it okay i should have played it then don't worry <laughs> <laughs> i don't think it will ultimately end up one of the best games of the year but it is <laughs> Um, we put Spelunky 2 on there, just like a little like Crusader Kings. It's like um, a Spelunky apology tour. I don't get, <laughs> I don't enjoy Spelunky at all. I don't like the first one. I don't like the second one. I get the ID and I like the ID, but I just find it kind of boring to play. And um, like, I like the idea that everything uh, acts in this world and react to the world the exact same way. So, like, the, the traps are going to attack the, your enemies as much as they're going to attack you and all that kind of stuff. I just think it's very smart. And I really like the idea of having, like, all those moving pieces interacting with each other and creating procedural stories in a way. I just don't like playing it. I'm with you. I... I... I tried. I tried for 90 minutes or something. I was like, I'm just not enjoying this whatsoever. <laughs> yep. Uh, I feel I ended up more on the um, Binding of Isaac side of the roguelike uh, genre, I guess. And even that, I don't play that much Binding of Isaac, but I finished that one multiple time where I spell on key. I just, I play until I get to the second zone um, every time I play, mostly every time I play, until I can get to the second zone consistently, and then I'm like, I, I don't want to play yeah. this anymore. All right, next up, uh, Spider-Man Miles Morales, the, well, I, I was going to say PlayStation 5 game, but I guess it's PlayStation 4 and 5. Uh, I like this game a lot more than I liked the Spider-Man 2018, I guess. Um yes. I think it gets a lot of mileage, again, out of just being a short game. Kind of gets in, it gets out. I like that it is a Christmas aesthetic. I kind of just like Miles. Like, I just, yeah. I like this character more. I, I enjoyed seeing his story and the relationships that he built along the way. And uh, I had fun with it. It's nothing special, but... Yeah, my thing, it's, it's also better because it has less me games and bad content. Yeah. Like, we we forgot about... I, I feel like I forgot about Spider-Man that Spider-Man game having so much bad minigames, but it has a tons. Whereas this, uh, they remove all the, the, the hacking games and all that shit and the game's better for it. Um, it's good AAA. I don't think it's nothing special still, but it's good AAA game. It's a good yeah. AAA game. It's got some good musical cues. Yeah. Good songs. That's uh, that's about it, I guess. I mean, yeah, it's, it's you know, bubblegum. It's fun to go through. Yep. Talk to me about Spiritfarer. Yep. Uh, Spiritfarer um, is a game where you're playing the new... Fuck, I forgot the name. <laughs> uh, you're playing the character that is on the boat bringing the dead to the land of the dead from the land of the living, basically, uh, in Greek mythology, like there is in Hades. Um, it's Karen in Hades, right? You're playing the new, basically, Karen, and you're meeting these... Uh, animal people and uh, you're basically on a boat where you're playing um stardew valley like game with those animal people where the boat you're gonna have uh, you're gonna cook on the boat you're gonna plant some trees and stuff and uh, make food for your character that you're bringing to the hunt of the dead and you can stop to some island where there's a light metroidvania gameplay uh, going on 
on, on those islands where you're playing a small 2D platforming game on there. Uh, and obviously what the game's built toward is that you were gonna have to say goodbye to those characters when they're gonna go to finally to the land of the dead. I really like that game in concept more than I like playing it. Um, most of it because it feels, it kind of has too much mechanics. Uh, it has too much gameplay for the interaction about those characters. And I feel uh, it's a light version of Stardew Valley and a light version of 2D Metroid. And those bits are not that good and not interesting to go through, but there's a lot of grinding for and materials that you need to do like in a Stardew Valley game, but it's not as involved and as interesting as Stardew Valley. And there's a lot of like light 2D platforming, but they're not that interesting to do. Uh, and I felt, I don't know. I, I really liked uh, looking at the game. I thought I would really like it, but never gelled for, uh, into something with my. So I, I played. I played what I felt like was a fair bit of this, although I, maybe I'm just wrong. Maybe I, I, I ended up um, saying goodbye to one of my animal friends. Right. Um, you know, losing people in real life is a very hard thing. And I don't want to just, you know, I'm not trying to like disparage this game, I guess, but I felt like I found this game, I don't know what the, like, the right word is, but I... I felt like it was trying to pull on my heartstrings in a way that um, I didn't find very effective. Um, I mm. Losing people is so hard, and then this game just sort of, I don't know, it's like you grind a bunch and then someone dies, and I just kind of had this very, like, muted, like, that's it. Like, it sort of, it felt so not genuine to me in how loss feels. And I really don't, you know, I really, I'm not trying to say this as a negative thing. I, I think it's great that there is something that's so poppy and, you know, almost like family-friendly that can kind of cope with death. But I just felt like it didn't, for me, I just felt like it, it didn't even come close to the mark where I wasn't even remotely moved by it. It felt uh, just kind of gamey. And I, anyway, yeah. that, well, that's it. It's my issue with the whole game. I feel is a little too gamey for me to um, enjoy the character the way they should. I, I should. And like, you see them, like the heart is very good. So you see them and the heart was, and they seem to have a lot of, enough personality but the way you interact with them is just a bunch of grinding game at the end of the day and it feels like i feel the more i interacted with the character the less they felt like real people that i would have to let go of yeah i think that's i think that's on the money i think that's how i felt as well yeah uh all right our next game is star wars squadrons by motive studios um i will be honest and say that i did not play very much of this i kind of bounced off it i think it's a game i might I might end up going back to when I have a computer that can run it in VR. It A lot of people seem to really like this game. Uh, it is a arcade simulation of a cockpit TIE fighter style game. So the controls inside are very easy to maneuver and understand, but it gives you a little bit closer to simulation than something like an actual Rogue Squadron where you're sort of, you know, blasting 100 ships in 10 minutes or something. Right. Um but yeah, I didn't really, it felt like a, I don't know, it just, it really felt like a VR game to me. Like the characters stand way too far from you and kind of talk to you in this way that's like on a TV screen is like, okay, well, you're in the wrong spot. Um, like you teleport to doorways and stuff. And it just, the whole, because of all that stuff, when I started actually playing, I was sort of like, well, I, I sort of feel like you have illustrated to me that I am not playing this right. And, um, and it made me, it just made me not enjoy the time I spent with it. 
Do you want to talk about Streets of Rage 4? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't have much. Well, like We played Street of Rage 4, I think, one time together, and we don't like that game. Yeah, I just don't... I guess I don't get it. Yeah, I don't get it either. I don't get why people like the game. Uh, it just felt mashy for me. I don't know. There was very little about it that grabbed me and made me want to play any more of it. I liked getting achievements. Yeah, achievements are <laughs> always great. We like those. <laughs> Um, um, yeah, I don't. I have nothing else to say on that. Yeah. Uh, moving on to Super Mario Bros. is thirty five. Uh, this is a battle royale Super Mario Bros. game. I I only played it a couple times. I just put it on here more as a. Uh, I just wanted to comment on its existence because this is a weird time in the world of games where they made a Super Mario battle royale for some reason. Those were words that someone in a boardroom thought. Let's make it happen. Like. <laughs> yeah. Um, our next game is Super Meat Boy Forever. So, if you've heard the other podcast, you know I really like Super Meat Boy, the original one. And hearing that Super Meat Boy Forever, so it's more Super Meat Boy, but it's also an, uh, an auto runner. The character move without you doing anything, and you just need to press the jump at the right time. Um, I was not super excited about it because I'm like. I, I don't like most of the runner, but I was if there's a team that can do well by that, it's that thing because like Super Meat Boy is just a 2D platformer like every other 2D platformer. It just feels better, which makes it a good game. Um, and I'm disappointed to say that Super Meat Boy Forever is not. And I was very disappointed by that because you get into the menus and the menus themselves feels great. And like, okay, no like they know what the fuck they're doing and they're doing something special and then you start playing the game and no it's a another runner like every other fucking other runner on the market and it's not fun or interesting to play and uh, it loses the super meat by identity in a way because sometime it's more about puzzling out oh you're gonna put your character on the right path without having control on it that it is about the platforming itself. And that's not fun to figure out because like there's a lot of time you're gonna die just because the character is running automatically and you just wanna say, uh, if you could stop for a second, <laughs> this wouldn't be a problem. But it never happens. And the fact that we're constantly dying automatically, and like the game, Super Meat Boy feels great. The the first Super Meat Boy feels super great. And this one, like, it's not that it feels bad. It's, it doesn't feel like anything. It just moves automatically and you're just pressing things as stuff happens. Like, you you feel like you're playing a Simon Says game. So, like, there's no there's no feeling to it. Like, you're, That's pretty you're just responding to stuff that is happening. And it's not interesting at all, uh, gameplay-wise. So, like, I feel super bad because it's also a game that has been in development for, like, five or six years for some random reason. But, like, <laughs> every every time people, every time they showed that game and the reaction was, well, sure, but it's an auto-runner. And you wanted to believe that they had an ID to fix auto-runners in general. But no, no, it's, well, it's an auto-runner. And I might as well play a Jetpack Joyride or whatever. Oof instead of this shit. And uh, it's very disappointing. I still love 
Super Meat Boy, the original one with Hold My Heart, but I cannot get along with this one. Yeah, well, you got it off your chest now. Yep. Super Meat Boy forever. Uh, next up, we have Tales from Off Peak City Volume 1, and that is a Game of the Year contender. Yes. Uh, after that is Tell Me Why by Don't Nod Entertainment. Um, did you end up playing this? Nope. No, okay. Uh, so Tell Me Why is the story of two siblings, uh, Allison and Tyler, who have been separated for years after Tyler confesses to murdering their mother in self-defense. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so the notable, the other notable part of that story is that in the time since the siblings have um, have been together, uh, Tyler has officially transitioned into being a man. Uh, so the game is very much about Tyler being transgender and... Um, and those two characters and their relationship and them unpacking their mother's death. So I, I don't actually like this game quite as much as the other Life is Strange, uh, Life is Strange games, but I enjoyed it. Um, I think that the story is actually really interesting and good on paper. Uh, like I actually, I really like all of the beats of the story and sort of unpacking it. Um, and I even like a lot of the downtime that's present in this game, but kind of like Life is Strange 2, there's a lot of stuff in between that doesn't really work like exactly like life is strange 2 it has this storybook motif but instead of it being two wolves traveling together this one is a you know a fantasy storybook where there are goblins and a fairy godmother and and there's like a lot of time spent on that that element of the story and and the characters Mm. just sort of going through motions where they're not uh, developing the relationship and i found all that a little bit frustrating the like the second the best part of that game is the second episode opens on this extended um like it opens with a montage and then there's this extended scene of uh, the two characters just kind of going through their mother's belongings and deciding, okay, do I sell this? Do we keep this? Who wants this? Do we throw this? Like, what do we do? And they, that stuff all works really well and the characters are pretty believable and um, and I, I enjoyed that, all that. Yeah, I guess that's really all I have to say. Like, there, there are some moments that work that work pretty well with um, other characters in this more conservative town sort of coping with Tyler's transition and... And some of that is great, um, great and well-written and interesting. And then other times it, I mean, I, this is it. It's, it's hard. It's weird for me to comment on it, but some of it I felt, felt was a little bit flat or flatter than it sort of was intended. Um, right. same thing, you know, uh, Allison has some anxiety issues and like, I've had anxiety issues and, you know, have, watching her have a panic attack was like, yeah, okay, I guess you've kind of put a mechanic on this, but I don't know if, I don't know if you've quite stuck the landing here. And, you know, she sort of gets over it pretty quick. (laughs) Anyway. I hope... uh, So, I I generally really like what Donald are doing. Uh, They they developed another game this year that we haven't played. Uh, I don't remember the... Twin Mirror. uh, Twin Mirrors. Yeah. Right. And that's supposed to be bad. Um, That's why we haven't played it. Um, I really like what Hold on, hold on, hold on. What if it's amazing? Because people say yeah. Vampire was bad. And yeah, Vampire people say Vampire was bad. So this, um, that's actually like the biggest regret for me of games that I didn't even touch. Because it could yeah. be amazing. <laughs> I feel like I need to play it still because Vampire is, is uh, amazing. I hope I hope Donald will get out of this rut. I hope... Not, not that Tell Me Why seems bad, but I hope that they're... Um, that they're going to make great games. Though. I hope they're able to make, to make another big, big stride. Yeah. That's that, you know. And again, yeah, this game was good. It just didn't, there, there's some, you know, there are some parts, nice. like I, I almost just wish it were shorter yep. and it's already shorter than the last game they made. And at some point it's like, hey, can you maybe, maybe try making a 90 minute game, see what happens. Maybe it'll be astonishing. Right. 
Um, what do we have next here? We have the flower collectors. Uh, flower collectors. So I didn't. I played this back in February. I think if I had had an opportunity to replay it before this conversation, it's possible that this could be a top ten game. Oh, I totally forget about that game. Yeah, it's really good. Okay, I need to play this. I'm sorry I haven't played this. I'm sorry, developer, whoever you are, I haven't played your <laughs> game. I should have played your game. Uh, yeah, it's 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 really uh, it, it is really something. Um, and it was even on my short list, but then there were enough things that kind of okay. bumped up above it that I was like, and I don't have that burning passion in me like I do for some other right. things. Uh, but it is a 1970s whodunit set in Barcelona, and you are an ex-cop who is bound to a wheelchair, and it basically plays like Rear Window, where you are looking out your window and you you see a murder happen outside, and then you need to watch how people behave in the town around you, and you're sort of watching them go through the motions of their day and seeing how, anyway, seeing what they do and if there's any clues to the murder. You eventually partner up with a journalist who then you can send out and say, like, okay, here, go investigate this person, and then they have the exact rear window moments happen, and it's uh, it's very good. And it's also very funny. There's a lot of, like, very funny moments. Um, okay, that sounds really great. I should have played this. Yeah, it's uh, it's a winner. Um, like I, I think the only reason that that I sort of didn't stick with me more is that the the plot is a little bit erratic, and so there are a couple moments where characters do things that are almost out of character just to push the narrative forward. Right. And you're like, whoa, whoa, hold on, you have made a very big leap in, in the. Um, but yeah, it's it's good. It's good, and you should play it. Yep, it's a good one. The Last of Us Part Two is going to be a game we're going to talk about later. Agreed. Uh, our next game after that is The Longing. Um, I wanted The Longing to be my game of the year. Like, <laughs> just on paper, I was ready for The Longing to be the best game of 2020. Yeah, it's a cool concept. Uh, and it, it, yeah, and unfortunately it's not. It is a, um, it's a literal idle game, we'll say. Uh, it, it is not an idle game like a clicker, but it is a game that takes uh, 400 real world days to beat and so the second you start the game the clock starts to tick down uh you play a um you play a shade and you kind of look like mr burns in a weird way but you're very very cute and um a cute mr burns a cute mr burns i i almost don't even remember the premise of the game but there is some idol in this cave that you live in who sort of says you need to wait 400 days before you can go outside or, or something along those lines so you can explore this pretty large um, like web of a map, and there's there's not really much to do in it, but you you walk at a snail's pace. So you will you will open up the game and you will click like go here, and he just starts trudging along, and it takes you know six minutes for him to walk from one edge of the screen to the other edge of the screen. You know, at some point you there you get to like these giant stone doors and you click open on the doors and then you got to wait a couple days because the doors are just slowly sliding open so you check back in a few days later and the doors are open and you go through uh, at some point you need to climb you need to like close a gap and there's a spider who is making a web and you can see that the spider is making a web and you're like oh okay i'm gonna be able to climb that web at some point and so you gotta wait for the spider to finish the web uh so there's a lot of like cool ideas in there um I think the biggest problem with it is that it's actually a little bit too involved. Like, there's too much sort of exploring right. that has to happen in real time in order for you to get to the points where you're waiting to sort of check back in. So unlike um, like a Neko Atsume or something, where you just, every time you open it up, you see something new, there's a lot of sort of going like, 
oh rats i don't really remember where i came from right. okay oh no i went backwards okay so i guess i'll you know i'll go make a coffee and come back and see if i've made it back to where i was originally so i can go to the right this time instead of the left but there's even some good jokes in there like you you do have a little home inside this place and you know there's a bunch of books in there one of the books is moby dick and you can just kind of click through moby dick like <laughs> the entirety of moby <laughs> dick um so that's that's a good goof yep uh, and that's it yeah that's the long did you end up playing more of the pathless uh yeah i did two two of the main areas basically i think there's three and then a fourth boss uh probably the pathless is um it's hard to explain but it feels a little like um um, like a Zelda game, I would say, where you're going around in this open field and you're trying to uh, do three um, little puzzles in towers to uh, get the, 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 a big monster away from uh, the area and uh, get the color and the nature to come back in the area. And what's interesting about the Pathless is that it has a movement system where you literally glide through the environment at very fast speed uh, and you're shooting with an arrow that refills uh, against target and refills your basically fuel for your speed and uh, whatever. And it's very fun to move around. It's a very pretty game. And there's not much else to it. Like I, I, I feel. Oh, I, I, I need to say, uh, you have um, a little bird pet with you as uh, your helper, and you need to, uh, to pet. You rub its belly, and the the effect on rubbing its belly is, uh, it's very good. It almost looks like, you know, those sequin clothing. Yeah. Like when you rub up a bunch of sequins, and then you rub them yeah. down, and it, uh, they like fill in properly. It's a. Yeah, that's great. It's a very pretty game. It's a fun world to go around. I didn't like the gameplay part of it that much. So you were going to get to small ruins and there's going to have like some block pushing Zelda-like puzzle in it. And it feels kind of weird because it's a game that you're literally like just gliding and running around in the world. And then you get to a puzzle and it just like hard stuff to you doing this very simple puzzle. And I enjoyed some of the, uh, you have some fight with the bosses where you're gonna run, a, a, you're gonna run parallel to one boss, like running around in the field and trying to shoot them. I think that is, is a little better because it integrated the speed of the game in it. But when the gameplay come around, it's not that great. It's just uh, more fun to run around the world. One, weird issue I have with a lot of those games that I realized playing this game is that like you're bringing back the color in the world and it's already a very pretty game but like the moment I had in this game was the first time I finished an area and the color came back and like you run a, a, around in this big field and it's all very pretty and the music is cool again and it's not muted the way it was before and I'm like I wish I wish I wasn't spending that much time in the dark version of the world instead in the of boring world yeah and like i understand how it makes sense in the story but like it's way more fun to spend time in the pretty part of the world than the dark part of the world it's a good point and a lot of games use that mechanic yeah and a lot of games use that mechanic and not, i have the exact same problem whereas like a most zelda are pretty from the get-go whatever um I mean, it's hard to say. I really like the game, but I just uh, it, it it feels it doesn't. Um, it's kind of less from the sum of its parts because, like, I don't think the puzzles are bad or anything. But 
it just doesn't gel in the right way uh, with me. I still, like, I haven't finished it, but I feel like I'm gonna probably finish it soon. Like, I, I enjoy just moving around in the world enough to keep me go to... It's, a, it's a shame, because for me, the big issue with this was that I tried to, like, I haven't, I got it on Apple Arcade, and I tried to play it on the TV, using the Apple TV, and I tried to play it on the phone, and I tried to play it on the MacBook, and it didn't work on anything. Yeah. Uh, and then I went to go buy it on PlayStation, and then on PlayStation, it was, like, $60 or something, and I, you know, not that I'm, I'm not opposed to paying money for a really good game, but I had already sort of soured on it a bit yeah. by having it run so poorly on the other devices, and it was like, hey, well, do I want to, there are so many games to play, do I want to pay full price for this one Yeah, and I don't right think here and right now? Like, I'm not saying they're charging too much for it, like, it deserves a 40 bucks price tag, but it's not the best one you can get, like, it's not the best game you can get for that price tag either, so... We're already spending too much money on games. So. We spent, yeah, we buy a lot of games. Uh, next up is The Procession to Cavalry by Joe Richardson. Uh, this game is fun. It's, uh, it's, it's a very simple adventure game on a mechanical level. Um, it is an absurdist adventure game that uses, it's, it's just Renaissance paintings um, used for every character model and every background. Um, and it sort of imagines almost like a Toy Story vibe where like, okay, well, what if when the Renaissance paintings, uh, when you're not looking at the Renaissance paintings come to life and they are just really violent, horny, foul, um, crude characters. They're kind of gross. So it, it, I mean, it's very much like a, like a, like a Monty Python South Park merge. If you were going to be, you know, if you were going to go to that, um, that comparison, every basically every screen is a joke and it's they're often kind of funny and they they're they're off they're all like kind of worth seeing i didn't i don't know if the game is you know outstanding or something that you absolutely must go through um but there are a lot of jokes that made me laugh um like i think i said this to you when i was playing it just every area has a musical cue and there's a bunch of men playing their horns and they're playing a song and they're called the horny men (laughs) (laughs) like it's so stupid but it got me every time the horny men um Uh, yeah uh like i remember that joke i haven't played the game but i yep yep i remember that joke and i think it's pretty funny yeah and i want to see it for myself eventually yeah it's it's worth at least turning on for 20 minutes just to look at the way that game like the look and feel of that game is uh is pretty cool right uh tony hawk is very good it's too bad that it's activision and the price will never drop um because it's super fun and but i i will say so tony hawk one and two uh obviously i played these games so much when i was a kid so like i do remember at least especially that first game i remember the solutions to the puzzles i think i like 100 percent completed tony hawk one in like i don't know two hours an hour and a half or something uh, like I burned through these games to 100% completion in a in a weekend. I mean, it was great fun. Like I had an amazing time. I couldn't. I was just like, yeah, I'm gonna keep playing Tony Hawk forever. If they had a Tony Hawk three, I'd play that too. Um, it just feels weird because they are they're very expensive. Like there's no being around right. the bush. You know, it's a ninety dollar video game after tax in Canada. You know, even on sale when it goes down to seventy dollars after tax it's it's a lot yeah it's also for that game like it's literally one of those games i'm just waiting for the right sale to buy them because i know i'm gonna enjoy them but as you say it's very expensive for like five hours of yeah mindless fun that's it it's also that it's mindless it's that it's very much i'm going to hit all the buttons in the best sequence and i will be good and the points will be large (laughs) yeah 
Um, oh, also, I will say, Tony Hawk 1 and 2, uh, it lets you... It's a very good remaster. Um, it lets you control the soundtrack the way that you want it to be. So I was able to set the soundtrack to be just Superman on loop for okay. five years. <laughs> as, you, as you want. Exactly. So have you played Trackmania at all? You haven't ever... I have not. You, ever, you never touch a Trackmania. I have never played a Trackmania game. So Trackmania, so it's not the first Trackmania game, but it's just called Trackmania because uh, it's their new platform to play Trackmania and it is fucking madness. Like even the way you buy the game doesn't make any sense. Uh, Like they said in their marketing, oh, it's not a subscription. You're just buying the game for a year. Okay. (laughs) Like you cannot really buy the game. Pay 10 bucks to play it for a year or something. You can still play it for free. You don't have to buy anything, but like there's tiers of it's not a subscription that lets you do different stuff with it. But it's like an installment plan, like after you play, after you subscribe for 12 months, you own everything? No, but you own some of the stuff. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Basically, if you pay for a year, you keep the map they did in the year. Weird, okay. So you still own them, even if you don't play it again. So it's like Netflix, if when you step your Netflix subscription, you keep all the movies that are there, but it never changes anymore. Okay, so it would behoove you to never cancel, because otherwise you might miss a month of game. Yeah. Anyway, it's not that expensive that that thing is an issue and as i said i think you can play some of it for free and it's kind of the old pc game madness where like there's a server list and you can favorite some server and you're in this mess and there's going to be server where the title of the server it's like pay two bucks to keep that server up uh, go to that url and send us money or whatever and like uh, you feel that every time you're going to click on something, you're going to fall into a deep hole of, like, you don't know where you're going to go. Weird. And there's a lot of stuff in this game that doesn't that doesn't seem even legal. So there's a, a, a map that is, like, a classic map of Turkmenia. And, it, like, a week after that new Turkmenia game was out, like, it... The map, the, somebody redid the map in the new Trackmania that's called Star Wars Metallica, where you're playing a map and the music is Metallica music, <laughs> and there's just like a bunch of Jar Jar Binks photo everywhere. And like the Jar Jar Binks photo are gonna show you the way uh, you need to go. And there's a bit in that map where the camera just pans out. And you're not playing Trackmania from the behind of the car like you should. You're just playing in this like third view Resident Evil 1 uh, camera spot. Uh, and you're trying to play a racing game that way and it's impossible. And then the camera does some flip. Th- this sounds great. This sounds like dreams. And it's amazing. And there's people complaining in the chat. What the fuck is this fucking map? Like it's not... And we're not even playing a racing game and that stuff is amazing and like there's gonna be like people like people creating the server can install a lot of plugin on the server like plugin to vote for the next map plugin to vote for the next song and obviously people always pick the worst map and always pick the worst song and it's kind of a kind of internet madness that doesn't exist anymore 
on the internet. That's cool. And it's very cool. I'm not gonna say it's a great game, um, but uh, and obviously it's the same thing as the other Trackmania game, and it kind of feels weird that we need a new one to get to that kind of madness. But like, there's still a moment where I was, okay, I'm just gonna play one hour of Trackmania, I'm just gonna hang out with a bunch of people, and you get in the chat, you say hello to everybody, and like, how is it going today? And you're just like racing with other people. So there's no collision between cars or you're just, you're basically racing alone, but you're seeing the ghost of like 40 other player in the same you and you're just like bullshitting with other people, uh, playing stupid map that make no fucking sense. And like my favorite thing are the three or four second map where like, it's just a bunch of, um, like on the ground, they're gonna have like speed thing thing that make you go faster, and they're just gonna be one turn, and that's the whole map. And you just see like forty cars speeding really fast and just missing the turn and just like going around in different ways, and like that's it. And you're just repeating that four second map for ten minutes, and you're trying to put your best time in it, and yeah. And this is free. Like this is free, other than the subscription. I think so. Mm, I think but I might you need, need to, try to pay the subscription if you want to change your horn. <laughs> and one of the big fun of the game is put... Because you can put anything in the fucking game. So you can put any fucking MIDI sound or whatever in your horn. And one of the big fun of the game is just putting a dumb horn and just hitting it all the time. That sounds good. I don't know. I don't know how to rank this game. I really like it. It's madness and I really have great moment with it. I really love seeing angry people in the um, in the text chat because the camera wouldn't follow their car for a full minute. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's hard to quantify how much that game is good or it's just like kind of a special thing that exists in its own corner of the world. I uh, I'm very happy that you shared the passion for Trackmania with me. I didn't realize that you I didn't realize you had played it or it's, that it was that weird. It's so bizarre. I feel like the experience you had with Dreams this year is the experience I had with Trackmania. Uh, like it's just bizarre. Yeah. Oh, uh, just one last thing I need to add. People obviously people love to have bad music in this game, but like oh bad it can get is very. I don't know that there's song I could hear like a, a dubstep remix of Believe by Chair and you're like fuck <laughs> 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 you people. Uh, yep. That sounds good. Uh did you play Umarangi Generation? I didn't. Okay. Uh, I will, I'm not going to save Umurangi Generation. So, uh, Umurangi Generation is a sci-fi story about the end of the world where governments, or like the government and governments have collapsed and everyone is sort of reckoning with their own mortality. Um, and you play a photographer who is taking very specific shots and these are your objectives to, um, anyway, to make money. And it's, it's kind of funny because the, the objectives and the goals are kind of intentionally mundane compared to the end right. of the world that is sort of happening in the landscape that you're exploring to find them. And so the, the world building itself is pretty cool. And um, uh, at its best, it reminds me of 30 Flights of Lovin'. And that's sort of in just that there are, I, I can't remember, I want to say eight stages. And each one of them takes place 
sort of sequentially jumping forward in time in ways that um, are surprising and interesting to see. Like, you know, at, at the beginning, you are just kind of, there's a bunch of kids hanging out on a rooftop and you're exploring the rooftop. And then by, you know, level three or four, you are exploring a war zone and there are corpses everywhere. And by level five, there are mechs that have appeared I, around and the mechs are fighting if you're trying to pose them. Yeah, I think the problem with this game is that uh, I think like the objectives and and sort of just taking fo- trying to find photographs for the objectives to clear them to progress to the next level is like I think it's pretty pretty boring um, and it'll be a lot of like get all five kids in your shot and that sounds like an interesting puzzle and then when it's like they're not clear cut solutions you don't feel like oh okay I had to knock this down and now I know how to take it like a lot of the time it's like. Uh, I don't quite. I just don't have the right angle, and I can't quite back up far enough. So I need to go right. jump up here and then try and get them in frame here. And and then there is a timer, and it doesn't really matter because you you don't need to complete all the objectives necessarily in one run. I don't think. But it anyway. I um I finished it. I just I, I felt like the actual loop of the game kind of got away, got in the way of the story that was interesting and I, I enjoyed, but not uh, not so fantastic that I felt you know the need to evangelize it, but. Yeah, that's okay. it. The next game we have on our list is Undermine. Uh, I'm not going to talk much about it. Undermine is uh, another roguelike uh, pretty similar to Binding of Isaac. You're just a bunch of dwarves going into a mine and trying to the trying to get to the end of the mine. And um, the difference between this and Binding of Isaac is that it has uh, some permanent upgrade that you keep from level to level. They're not that interesting it's like more damage and you're going faster and whatever so it's not conceptually it's not a great game but it's one i ended up playing 20 hours uh and listening to a lot of podcasts oh my gosh really uh because it was on game pass i didn't pay for it um it was very much a game pass game for me and listening to podcasts and we were talking about where our mental state was between again between um uh during the year and that was halfway june july August probably and it was a time where I was I should play something more intelligent than this and I was just playing Undermine not thinking about everything and that's it yeah I I, I like the mental state check-ins we should have done yeah, more mental state check-ins it's not a great game it's okay uh, okay our next one is Welcome to Elk uh, Welcome to Elk by Triple Topping well I ended up finishing Welcome to Elk um, it is a like very many other indie games at, like it is a uh, coming-of-age story to some extent. It is you arriving on an island with your own bag- baggage and meeting a gang of misfits who have even more baggage. It's very Mutazione in that way. It tries to tackle a lot more serious stuff than a lot of games of its style, uh, like a lot of the visual novels in the indie scene right now. It's It continues to have the colors and the music and the twee nature of this, this general type of game, uh, but it has a lot of death and abuse and sort of serious issues in there. And I... I think it it sort of it kind of points at them a lot more than it tries to ha- have much to say about them if mm-hmm. that makes sense um but i think that where this game works is that its personality is it breaks the fourth wall a lot and it has a lot of moments that are legitimately weird in a way that kind of draws your attention and goes like okay that was that was kind of cool um like the best scene in this game is at some point you discover one of your friends is dead and you find their dead body and it's very and it does a thing where it it makes you just carry their body from one area to another, but and you don't actually control any of the walking. You just click the button to start picking them up, and then the camera just goes deadpan on their dead face as you 
have to carry them and it just sort of makes you stare stare at them while the floor beneath you moves uh and it's it's pretty affecting and sort of transporting and then where it goes a step further is that later on you encounter an fmv cutscene where an old man is staring into the camera and literally recounting the events of this death as if they were real and maybe there is like a autobiographical element that i didn't realize was going on maybe i'm saying old man maybe i'm misremembering and it was just one of the devs talking into the camera um but it contextualizes it more and it's pretty cool and a lot of that fourth wall breaking stuff works that's sort of it it's it's uh it's pretty short it didn't leave a large impact on me but um but it has some ideas it takes some swings and uh and i appreciate that oh you know what i have i do have a note here I do think I'm, um, I think I'm done with, in games at least, the narrative theming of you can't help others until you help yourself. Okay. I think I've played too many games with that story now. This is one of, yet another one of those. Uh, The next game, uh, When the Past Was Around, I bought that game and I never played it because you told me you didn't like it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I didn't like it. Um... (laughs) And this is this is the one that I'm going to feel bad about because I don't think that it was a very large dev team and I think the art is quite beautiful. Um, it is a storybook-like point-and-click uh, adventure about love and loss and I think that there are a lot of people who would play this and play For- Florence and be maybe a little bit confused about why I would say Florence is, you know, a game of the year game and this is not. Uh, and really it's just that this this game has no bite or consequence right. and by virtue of it being so sweet, I... I even think there are moments where I think it starts to stumble into being like almost a little bit sexist. Like it, the story is you you fall in love with a boy who's very gifted on the violin and you and him both love music and when he dies it's like you give up music and then you have to sort of like you remember him so fondly that you regain your ability to, you know, tell loving stories with sound. And then I was super annoyed because at the very end of the game, he's dead, but you end up meeting him again. And obviously it's like a metaphor and he's not really alive. But I had this moment where I was like, oh my gosh, even a Disney movie doesn't pull its punches like that and give you the satisfaction of like meeting a dead person and being like, yeah, it's cool. I'm dead, but see you later. Anyway, I... (sighs) Right. You know, oh, you know what was another thing about this game? And this is outside of the story, but like a lot of the point and click is just you... Um, clicking around the environment and sometimes you'll be like breaking like dishes and pots and pans and and stuff and so the characters are having these romantic moments and you're just like wrecking shop around them and they do not react to it at all uh so i I thought that was pretty funny it made me want to hear the story of the ghost that is just breaking stuff um so yeah, I mean, I guess that there's probably an audience for whom this like very 101 introduction to loss could be useful and meaningful, and I don't want to take that away from anybody. And I, I really don't, um, I don't want to like take away from the, the game that I don't, I don't think was like you know, it's not the same thing as 250 people working on an Assassin's Creed game and it being hollow. You know, like this is this is certainly a more meaningful thing to the people who made it, but um, I did not enjoy it. Okay. I think the next game we have, Wild Ocean by Big Jacket, is uh, one of the best games of the year. I would agree. And uh, I think that the following game, Yakuza Like a Dragon, is also one of the best games of the year. I agree. I gotta, I, I gotta tell you that just seeing Yakuza Like a Dragon written down there made me pretty happy. 